with it when I was playing with it was like, but now I have to do this other stuff while I want to, when I want to be watching the world, <laughs> when I want to be listening to the world. And it, that got to be hard in, I just want to park the ship and listen. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to, you need to run You got a gameplay now. And like, for me, what is that? What is figuring out that balance? Am I the, have you heard this before? Or am I the only one uh, coming at you with this of like, I just want to park the car. It's a total shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was one of those things Alex and I have talked a lot about it, of like, no, you just want to listen and absorb yeah. it, but there's stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, the story here, I think on, I was hearing you guys talk a few weeks ago and I was saying, you know, reading Tolstoy is great. Snowboarding through glades, also great. Both at the same time, it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. And the story there was, you know, we had committed to non-English voiceover. And if you think of it being like a two-person project, like how would you do English voiceover? And even if you did, what does it do to the tone of the world? Or, you know, it kind of makes things too culturally familiar. So anyway, we were committed in that direction. And, of course, the the game design had been there for a while about, like, flying around. So the um, reading while flying problem was there. And neither Patrick nor I are, like, unbelievably skilled video game designers. We were sort of building a video game that looked like a video game and sounded like a video game and worked like a video game, but we weren't down in the trenches, like, really making it work moment to moment, I guess. And we kind of thought, okay, well, when we get to a certain stage, we'll go out, we'll find some people, we'll invest in that direction, we'll solve it. And we got the best people around, and we struggled mightily, and we didn't solve it to the level that I would want to have. This project, you know, should have been smoother to play than it is, and I recognize that, and I hope that, you know, people who get in and find themselves getting rubbed a bit the wrong way can adapt and persevere Mm -hmm. and get to a place, because I think at some point, after the kind of like overly dense initial stages, it finds its footing a little bit and you sort of get used to it. There's a couple things going wrong at the start there, I'll say, which is creatively, I loved the idea of you being kind of thrown in the deep end. Like, here you go. Mm. Here's the universe and an unconventional video game, and you're going to learn it all on the fly. And it's, you know, I'm like writing these, creative checks like yeah this is going to be great but then you've actually got to deliver on all of that you know all of these new things and unconventional things on the systems level and the language level and it's a tough design space to work in and so we struggled we got it ship shape but there is that but you've got to kind of Handle a little bit of the headache in there. A, I think you're selling you guys a little <laughs> short on the design. I think, but I think I think I think you're a victim. I think of the success of that world building. I, I think that's mm. probably like in another world, somebody's like, I don't care what they're saying. I'm just going to go. You know, I just want to make the ship fly. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to hop over these things and I'll just get to the next checkpoint. Um, but I really, I really became invested because it is. It's kind of a darker story. Like it's 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 uh it's dark you know. without being oppressive. You know, like it's 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 there's there's a lot going on there with this you know the, these people and what they have dedicated their entire existence to. And 
Like, the thing I admired most about it is that it does feel like a big swing in a direction of sci-fi that video games rarely try. Everything in video games is very much either space opera or grindhouse space adventure, you know, or occasionally you get some space horror. Like, there isn't really that... Not too many examples I can point to of, like, trying to get at the sort of existential parts of, you know, sort of space and, you know, the universe and all that kind of stuff without getting too hokey about it. And I feel like that's, to me at least, kind of the achievement of this thing is that it never gets too hokey about it. That's amazing to hear. And, yeah, the struggle here was how do you make a fun snowboarding video game (laughs) that also carries with it this grounded tone and a helping of existential dread. How do you bring those two great flavors together? And, um, yeah, there was real work that went into try to keep it heartfelt and honest and resonating with where we're all at. And then there was also a moment where there was a need to find a little bit of levity, get a couple of, jokes in there to, you know, lighten the mood. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to hear that it's uh, coming across. There there are there are parts in that game where I felt like, and, and we're not going to talk spoilers, but there are parts in that game where I feel like it's very relatable. You you have you have a bigger story, you have your more personal story, right? And you're, and you're kind of going through a pretty well-defined for the size of the game journey with these characters, I think, you know, uh, as you're going through and their kind of personal hang-ups and like I said, the the backstory really adds a lot. Adds a lot to that. The codex and, and being able to read through the history there, I think, adds flavor to these different where everyone's coming from on this mission, which I think was also very interesting. And so, when when you're going through that, you have your story and you have all your stuff, and you, you know where you want to be at the end. And now you have to figure out what the player is going to be doing this whole time while this narrative is going to be there. I mean, you have the flying around. Do you, do you feel a need to add in other mechanics to flesh out the interactivity with the game to support some of this narrative? Uh, you know, I think the trouble here was this was a real, you know, DIY moonshot kitchen sink sort of project. We didn't choose, let's make a narrative video game with some immersive sim mechanics trappings. We tried to do it all. We tried to get that immersive sim snowboarding stuff to be on the same level, but that's just a lot to uh, solve for, I guess. In terms of, yeah, trying to find... See, I think one of the troubles we had is that maybe due to a lack of confidence or something on my side, I struggled to just let the game be the game, especially in, like, the early chapters. It was just hard to make that work, and so it ends up being kind of too dense, doesn't like let you breathe as much. Um, and maybe what would have been great is to get in there and sort of have some more traditional mechanics for the player to kind of get acquainted with, uh, in there. But yeah, no, we were trying to, trying to make a game that could sustain this type of flying around in the jet activity without falling back on the tried and true of, you know, smash and collect things or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you go down that road, the good news is is that, like, it's satisfying, the verbs are right there, you can kind of put that stuff together. The trouble is in a video game where we're also trying to have a tone and have characters that we enjoy spending time with, you, you would end up warping the premise in weird ways, mm-hmm. and we could never quite square that. And so then, yeah, there we were kind of 
taking our unconventional mobility mechanics and grasping for unconventional other mechanics that can keep you busy that don't lead down this path of belligerence or violence or whatever. Right, you're never just flicking on the the laser guns and being like, all right, now just wipe them out of the sky. Here's your turret sequence, go. (laughs) (laughs) Right, which I appreciate because, you know, it doesn't just fall into tropes, right? It is is novel the whole way through. Even at at some points during the, the, the parts, I was like, what am I exactly supposed to be doing here? But it's a, it's a weird world. Everything about it, like I said at the beginning, there's enough fam- familiar with it where you get it, and then everybody's like, I don't know what you guys think you're doing, activating these things, or you know, popping off on these things, or put the widget in the, you know, the. I don't remember all the, the language, but it was it was a lot. I'll say when I'm watching, for example, like Star Trek Discovery or something, and they're just powering through the crazy jargon. I now have like a newfound respect for what it for what it takes to chop through that much jargon. Uh, one thing in Jet, not to sort of you know spoil anything too much, but as much as the story tries to avoid uh, conflict, you do get there, and I mm-hmm. do kind of like the way that it works out, where you know we don't just plunge you into conflict immediately. It's a slow build, but then. But, yeah, then you get there. What was disappointing is, you know, that's so much easier as a scenario than everything else. It's just like, here you go, boss battle. We all know how this works. Mm -hmm. It feels good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry, there's, like, not more of this, you know. But, um, But anyway, I like the way that works where you get one, and then you still have to deal with some of the kind of aftermath of it. Yeah, I mean, for my part, I will say that, you know, wherever I ran into a wall in that game, I did at least feel enough confidence and enough, like, inspiration to want to push past. Whether or not every part of that vision, like, made me a happy player mattered less to me than just sort of, like, I want to see this thing through and see what they have made in totality. Cool. Yeah, I wanted to know the nature of the hymn wave. I wanted to know... What are we doing here? Like, I don't think I quite, even after finishing, know the nature of the hymn wave, and I, don't, I suspect you're not supposed to really know. I'll wait for the sequel. Is it to, uh, you know, 5,000 years later, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, within the context of the campaign, there was definitely always this idea of winding certain things down, character arcs and plots, and then there was always some idea of, ah, maybe don't wind every single thing down and to have it feel like part of a greater whole. And, uh, yeah, we'll see where we get with that. It, it's It's got a, for, for anyone who hasn't played it, it's got a great sense of constant salvation and constant threat mm-hmm. at the same time. And, and that's the thing I wanted to see to the end is, like, I don't, I really don't know. This is on, like, a knife's edge this entire time. But I really don't know whether this is going to be, this whole thing is a, a tale of overcoming or a tale of really bad mistakes. Like it, it's it's fascinating. Uh, that's great to hear. I, I think we're all really proud of it. Uh, I think if I go in the Wayback Machine, maybe there's a couple of unconventional decisions that we could have gone a little more traditional. But um, overall, it's the type of video game that I wish existed, and now it does. So. And it's like, you can't ask for more than that. You want to manifest the things you want to see into the world. And I'm, you know, it's awesome that you guys were able to do that, uh, you know, especially with such a small team. So hats off to you. 
Uh, it may be a little early to start, you know, bandying these things around, but I have to ask, you know, there was a long stretch between Sword and Sorcery and Jet the Far Shore. Are you planning on the next thing? Or are you just taking some time to kind of bask in it and sort of, like, reset your life? Like, where are you at? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this thing being such a long haul, I've definitely been looking beyond launch for a little while. And, yes, uh, foremost among my uh, new ambitious plans are things like taking it easy and uh, not working quite as much. This was a tough haul the last couple of years, especially, like, managing mm-hmm. this thing, doing too many jobs, got two little kids, lockdown didn't help. Um, yeah. So coming out of this, you know, I, I'm in for some R&R, but, you know, I got the old uh, – Super Brothers Pixels in cold storage. Maybe someday mm-hmm. it'll be time to warm them up. And, uh, you know, there's a whole universe of Jet out there that <laughs> we'll see what happens with it. But um, it's definitely on my mind. So, yeah. You keep the door open to revisiting? Door is open. Well, I'll say, you know, when we got down into designing the universe, like, say, 2013, 2014, you know, we designed it to be pretty broad. We know what happened before. We know what happens directly after. And we know what happens 30 years later. We've even got little sketchy prototypes of bits and pieces. Um, Not to say that we're dedicating the rest of our lives to Jet by any stretch. (laughs) But it's a concept that's broad. You know, coming out of sorcery was a great experience. But that world was kind of only the size of that video game. Or maybe it's a bit broader, but not too much. And in terms of mechanics, you know, there's more you could do, but it's not um, as compelling a problem space or fictional space. And with Jet, it's, you know, intentionally designed to be pretty broad with, uh, you know, video game design that has a lot of capacity to do different things. So we'll see what comes of that, but uh, it's part of the charm. Are you going to sell little miniature or are you going to sell the ship? When are you, when are you going to sell models of the, the, the Jet? Great question. Uh we have definitely looked in the direction of 3D models once or twice. There's a lot of things where you guys can appreciate this, when it's like, you know, you're a real company to outward appearances, and then inside <laughs> it's like, we need a small number of people yeah. doing a lot of different things. Yeah. So that's one of those things that's like, yep, it's it's on the list. Uh, not sure when I get down that far, but, um, yes, I want one. Uh, for sure, and I know other people like Sam Bradley, the yeah. art director, and everybody else. We are very eager for it, so we'll see. I appreciate you so much coming on here and having this discussion. I really do. This was a total treat. Yeah, a long-time listener, and so to be a first-time caller is a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> well, we greatly appreciate it. So Jet's out now. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. And best of luck with everything. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks again to Craig for spending that time with us to talk about the development. I really, I really love talking to people about making a thing like that because it's so, seems so complicated, so long, so hard, and so many choices have to be made. I, I will say it until somebody corrects me, but making games seems very hard. So I, does seem so I hear over and over and over and over again. Also, it's such a big opportunity to talk to somebody after you have finished their game. Yeah, totally. And, like, can talk through the whole thing and, like, really get into the nitty-gritty of 
what decisions were made and how things went and stuff, as opposed to the pre-release interview, which is often less in-depth. And, and again, thanks to Craig for being so open and talking about uh, uh, some of the trials and tribulations that went into making the game. It was really awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for supporting us. If you want to support us, you can go over to patreon.com slash nextlander. Nextlander is made possible by viewers like you and listeners. Uh, we do this with the generous support of uh, fans out there by listening, by watching our stuff, or by going over to Patreon and supporting us there. Could not, I repeat, could not do it without you, really. Can confirm. Yes. Uh, and you make it all possible. One of the tiers over on Patreon, the Mysterious Benefactor tiers, has a special bonus, which is to have your name, if you so desire, read out on this here show. And I just happen to have that list in front of me. And I am going to read it out on this here show. Please do. Starting with Bacon Monk, Tyler Treese, Robert Fisher, Thomas Lynn. Joseph Reagan, James Smith, Rick Button, Peter Reardon, Randy Duax, JM, Ninja Ducky, Nelson LeBlanc, Nick Donegan, Brian Murphy, Vinny's Giant Booga Boogas, Sean Miller, I'm, I'm sorry, Skywarp, John McInnes, Matthew Herrig, Matt, Mark Allenbach, Conrad Kuzman, Kevin Velado, Statics, Mark Wilhelm, It's Me JP, Jad Rita, Jack Eineker, Rob M, Chris Barkhurst, John Hubbard, Richard Welsh, aka Hired Noobs, Gary Pejski, Evan Cook, Brian D, Edward Cheek, Devin Maestro Hall, Jerry Lee, The Bunny Fiend. Anders Bouget, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Slosky, Steve Lynn, Andrew Tiebkin, Aaron Gonzalez-Beer. And those are our Mysterious Benefactors. Thank you, Mysterious Benefactors. And again, thank you to everyone who has supported and continues to support Nextlander. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. That is going to do it for this week's show. Bunch of stuff. Long show this week. A lot of stuff yeah. to talk about. Um, and we'll be back. He says nothing's happening. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. It's all happening, and we're here to cover the stuff that we think is worth discovering that is happening. Sure, there's more happening out there. I almost guarantee it. Nope, that's it. We covered it. And we got everything this week? Woo. Every single thing. Thank you, Brad Shoemaker. Thank you, Alex Navarro. Before Thank we you. go, I'd also like to say this week we saw the conclusion of the hit marathon Hitman 1, 2, and 3, I am still wide open to do more Hit Marathon. I love less, that so much. The less said about that conclusion, the better. Oh, it was a lot of fun, though. That's right. A lot of fun. Yeah, that's what it matters. In the spirit of competition. Uh, a lot the, of fun. For the love of the game. You can check that out. That's where Brad and I tried our darndest to go as quickly as possible through every Hitman map, uh, or at least official Hitman map. Uh, we didn't do any of this side-side stuff. We did some of the side stuff. Uh, anyway, still open to do much more of that. Alex and I also finished House of Ashes, uh, The Dark Pictures. I thought that was a pretty fun ride as well. Yeah, uh, pretty much exactly what you would expect from one of those games, but I think a pretty well-executed one of them. I agree. And you can go check that out. Uh, out. Archive is up now. 
Uh, Brad is going to continue in some Resident Evil uh, 7 in VR, and we will have Grand Theft Auto, the definitive edition, as you heard on this year's podcast, uh, played on Friday. Alex is going to check that out, along with some ghost hunting on Thursday morning. Yes. You can check all of that out. Yeah, Elden Ring video up on YouTube. Yeah, right. go, go catch it. Go catch some Elden Ring and then see a doctor. I don't know. But thank mm. you. <laughs> thank you again, Brad. Thank you, Alex. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. This has been the Next Lander Podcast. We'll be back next week. Is all I have to. Wow, world of Winnie. That's me, world of Winnie. World of Wow. Wait, um, are, are you also hemorrhaging subscribers year over year? I hope not. We're just not right now. Wait, you forget I asked that. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely do not. Uh, I, if anything, welcome everybody. Come into the fabulous world of news and entertainment here on the Next Blender podcast. Brad Shoemaker, how are you? Worlds of Wonder. How about that? That's the wow that I remember. No, unfortunately, that one is taken now by uh, by RuPaul. That's the name of, her, of their production company. Wait, really? World of Wonder, where, yes. Where, where does where does that leave Teddy Ruxpin? Uh, oh. Dead on the side of the road. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Sitting in an alley with a knife with that uh, caterpillar thing. Just someone just it. someone just put a fucking journey tape in there, and all it does is play "Don't Stop Believing" while it's like it rocks on the side of a road. I, Maybe I, I should. That's my I art project. Just, this seems like exactly the kind of rabbit hole I should have fallen down before now. But I'm pretty sure there was like a pretty big Teddy Ruxpin hacking scene for a while. I think you might be right. Like making Teddy Ruxpin do some questionable things, perhaps. Alex Navarro, uh-huh. um, how are you? I good. Real, remembering now that I never actually had a Teddy Ruxpin, and now I suddenly I need to go talk to my therapist about my childhood. Uh-oh. Yeah, we had a Teddy Ruxpin in the house. It was kind of boring. It's uh, oh, but there yeah. was like a reboot of Teddy Ruxpin not that long ago. Oh God, you're right. Yeah. Wow. Everything that's... you loved as a child will be rebooted eventually. It's, it's like the, the product page on Amazon literally says Teddy Ruxpin official return of the story time and magical. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm you your storytelling friend. You can do better. Just put an not, SD card in me now. Yeah, probably. This is I'm, not. I'm calling your mom. Hold on. Beep, boop, 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 boop. This is not the Teddy Ruxpin I remember. Teddy Ruxpin fucking narked on me because <laughs> I had, had some friends over. Teddy hey. Ruxpin says, pass that shit here or I'm mm-hmm. going to notify uh, the police. Is Teddy Ruxpin a cop? Teddy Ruxpin has to tell me if he's a cop. <laughs> Put the right tape in. Teddy Ruxpin's no longer a cop. Apparently, World of Wonder was founded by former Atari employees. I think there's your there's your video game connection. I thought it was uh, I, okay. Here's wait. I, if you dig deeper, I thought it was Bushnell. I thought it was like Chuck E. Cheese pedigree. The World of wait, Wonder was like really because that's that's also you that's might also be Atari. Right. Yeah, that's you might be possible. right. It is possible. Let's follow this. Follow this Rux pole outwards, no matter where it goes. Less, uh, the less we dig into the doings of Nolan Bushnell in the eighties, the better. Just put put Probably. Nolan Bushnell's autobiography tape into Teddy Ruxpin and watch the magic really happen. Yeah. I'm not sure there's too much we could uncover about Nolan Bushnell at this point that he has not gleefully told people in public over and over again. That's probably fair. I mean, does Teddy Rexman work in a hot tub? I don't know. You tell me. Did you ever open up those suits at his, 
at a Chuck E. Cheese. That's where the mafia hides the bodies. Just in this animatronic suits in Wait, Jersey. hang on. Is that, is, that a, is that like a Jersey urban legend? No, but it should be. We should oh, start are you saying Jimmy Hoffa is like stuffed inside a country time bear playing the fucking banjo? <laughs> just formaldehyde it up in there? Jimmy Hoffa's ragtime washboard band. <laughs> oh, God, the, the hell that came off. Is that Jimmy? <laughs> I mean, oh, I, you know, we know by now because all those animatronics are rotting from the inside. So like, they you are. can see it by this point. They are, yes. There's a Chuck E. Cheese, at least two of them I, I see around in Jersey. I thought they were done, but they, they still are kicking. There's one not too far from where I live that is in a one of those little shopping centers they have in Queens where it's like it's two stories and then there's like, you know, there's a guitar center and there's like a, you know, like a Mervyn's or whatever the fuck and in uh, the grocery store. And then on the top floor, there's just a section that's occupied by maybe the chintziest Chuck E. Cheese I have ever seen in my life. It mm. looks, it has the look of a th- of a mob front. Like it is, it, it, it has like the barest minimum of accoutrement that a Chuck E. Cheese can have to occupy a space. But it looks like there's a back room somewhere where people are just like, Taking the skim from the Chuck E. Cheese, and they are counting their drug money. Like they they have a pizza, one arcade machine, and that's all you need, and a thing that is possibly a person in a suit that they call animatronic, and they're yeah, like, it's just it's, a front. It, it is the most bare bones Chuck E. Cheese I've ever seen in my life, and somehow it is still open. Are, are, are fronts like an obvious thing out there? Like I apologize if this is too stereotypically New York and New Jersey of a question. Maybe I've watched too much. Uh, Five families fiction, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, are there very obvious like storefront fronts around like that? Just everybody knows, just like, oh yeah, that's not, that's not a legitimate business. I I I would say that there are businesses I have questions about, but yeah. I can't say that it is like super. Like there are things, there are basic things like you know, okay, there are certain shady massage parlors around. There are these like. Soccer clubs, like these clubhouses where I think old Greek men just go to hang out and drink, and, like, they're all named after specific Greek islands. So I think sure. it's, like, there's if you are from there, you get clubs. There's social clubs, but I don't, like, there's also a couple of bars around here that I think are operating illegally. Like, they nev- they're never actually open, but sometimes people walk in there and out of there, and it's like, mm, I don't know about that. I think of more, like, the 115 weird, like, handbag and kids backpack stores you see on the street and you're like how are you in business like oh there is there is a perfume store in my neighborhood that is i appears to be nothing but product that fell off the back of a truck and it is organized (laughs) in a way where that you can tell they barely took the stuff out of boxes it looks like it looks like a hoarder's house but if a hoarder did nothing but hoard stolen perfume that smells like that I can smell that smell, and it smells yeah. disgusting. So those are the stores I would always walk by and be like, "What? How are you an electronics store? You have a mm-hmm. you have an '80s Walkman, like uh, uh, a mini DV section over here. Like, I guess at this point that stuff would go for good money, but like you know, electronics that are just a little outside their time, right? Like mm-hmm. just like." Hey, get your latest HD DVDs. And it's like, what? How are you doing? And this thing's all covered in dust. And they're like, we're open for business. Checking a mini disc. It's the future of music recording. Yeah, come get them. And it's like, uh, get your, get your two gigabyte SD cards now. Um, and it's like, how are you guys open for business? Well, I do need a two gigabyte SD card. Well, you gotta but, be careful uh, though, because there's, there's, there's those, but there's also some that are just like complete multi-purpose. 
businesses. Like, there's a place that sells electronics, but also they're a notary, but also they're a travel <laughs> agency somehow. Also, there's a cobbler in the back. You don't really know how all these things fit together, but they do. And so, uh, like, sometimes they are really just like these ramshackle businesses that are just thrown together different disciplines, and then there are the occasional mob fronts as well. And all of them will make duplicate keys for you. Yeah, yeah every single one of them has a key master. If I, could, if I could go to one place and arrange international travel and also get my shoes fixed, why yep. wouldn't I? There is you also place, like to buy some phone cards. There's a place here that is a, uh, uh, in my town, that is uh, a travel an- uh, agency slash uh, Korean chicken place. Uh, and it is, uh, what's the what's the chain Korean chicken? Bonchon. Is a Bonchon slash travel agency. So you go in there, you can get your Bonchon order, and uh, you'll get, take a nice trip if you want. Possibly uh, to Korea. I, you know, yeah, it's, 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 weirdly enough, those are the lowest <laughs> rates. Uh, the the thing I will say, if anybody's visiting New York, and I don't know if it's still like this, but, you know, because I haven't been traveling around in the city that much recently, is if you pass those stores, trust me, it is always 70% off. It is not. Mm-hmm. It is not a special sale they are having. It is not a today only sale. You will walk by that store every day, and that today only seventy percent off sale is happening every day uh, in that store. So it do not cheaper. be taken in. It is cheaper. It might be. You're not getting any warranty on that shit, and you are most <laughs> definitely not going to get any returns. But if you want something cheap, they got yeah. it. It might not come in a box, and yeah. uh, it might have some somebody else's uh, footage on that SD card. But there might be some of blood on there. <laughs> It's just OEM. We just we get it bulk from factory that way. Don't worry. Yeah, about that's yeah. right. You know, like when you buy a photo and somebody else's photos in the in the frame. It's just like that. They want to make sure the SD card, the camera works before they that's do right. it. Just don't run a black light over that thing. You don't want to know. <laughs> that's right. Why this footage on here has somebody uh, screaming here? Take just take my camera. Just take my camera on mm-hmm. it, and then it goes off. Uh, and is that is that how this is supposed to go? Yeah, that's that comes on all. Oh these no, that's people. a movie. It's uh, it's sound footage uh, horror. <laughs> it's uh, it's a nice, it's a nice. You know, you watch that on Netflix. Don't that's, worry about uh, it. That's a new. That's a preview for that Blair Witch. They uh, yeah. They, well, you they made another what one. <laughs> they keep making them. Ah, uh, that's not the only news. That's we're here to give you all the news that's good to eat, and that's not the only news that's happening. Oh this no. Week. Um, I want to bring up something quickly here just before we get into um. The, the news, big stuff. The, the megatons. Uh, Brad said something before the podcast that's kind of just been rattling around in my head. Oh. <laughs> that happens a lot, I think. About hamsters' ability to uh, not get drunk. Oh, my God. Uh, and I would like you to elaborate just a little Are bit. Are we really doing that? <laughs> I would like you to just share this uh, this little bit of information. Oh, apparently this article posted on December 26th. I came across this during the holiday break. It's a Christmas miracle. A piece on the Atlantic entitled "You Have No Idea How Hard It Is to Get a Hamster Drunk." Uh, I d- I did not know which a headline that made me laugh very hard. Headlines these days are almost uniformly bad and nothing but like weird idioms that are just repeated ad nauseum. So every once in a while, when I see a headline like this that actually is captivating, I have to call it out and say, "Good work, dude!" Like apparently, hamsters are fucking luscious. Why? Apparently, hamsters can hold their liquor better than just about anybody else in the animal kingdom. Okay, and then I asked you, what evolution? What evolutionary process could possibly have led to that? And oh, wait, hang on. Answer. Hang on, you're burying the lead here. Uh-huh. You can give them straight ethanol. Like, you literally give them Everclear. They uh-huh. will just happily drink Everclear and then just go, la, 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 and this walk is a, away. 
This is like a thing if I were some kind of animator or making my weird Animal Farm-esque uh, uh, metaphor for everything. Now I would have hamsters running yeah, how, like a, a bootleg how, or something. How is there not like a questionable hamster character from like 30s Warner Brothers cartoons? Yeah. Like a giant drunk. Well, because they didn't know. So wait, why? Why did science, like what, again, what is the reason for this? I guess the evolutionary mechanism is that they hoard food for the winter in the wild, and that food ferments over time. I love it. And if they can't eat the fermented food, say, several months into the winter when there's nothing else to eat, they are going to die. I love in some so. kind of rapid iteration version of nature, there are just hamsters who are dying because they're too drunk over the winter. They like wake up mm-hmm. drunk over the winter and like, I should go get, I should go get some more food. And just walk out and get eaten by a wolf or something. And the ones that don't get drunk sleep soundly and peacefully. But then the wolf dies also because the wolf cannot process that alcohol. And that That's thing right. is like is like basically like one of those uh, chocolate balls that is just full of alcohol. <laughs> the wolf, the, <laughs> the wolf, the wolf is just like, honey, what did you do? I had like four hamsters. I had like four hamsters. I found like, have you been in the hamsters again? And it's just a little bit. You know, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. I don't go fuck up that bear. That bear, <laughs> that bear snores all fucking with. Honey, don't just leave the bear. No, you say that. I'm gonna go, first. I gotta have a couple more hamsters. I don't go fucking tell that bear. I'm gonna light your fucking fire, bear, and then see what he does. Uh, that's my bit on drunk hamsters. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, tune in for our uh, bit on uh, New York scams and uh, drunk hamsters and wolves. That's right. <laughs> One-stop shop. <laughs> That's right. Always and, and And resort travel and Korean chicken all here. Mm-hmm. That's right. You, anybody, you, repair. you want a drunk hamster? I can get you a drunk hamster. You need something notarized? I can help you. Anybody need uh, keys made? I can also do that. Uh, I, oh, I once thought about buying one of those machines that grind keys and then... Uh, I don't know why. I thought you were about to say, I thought about buying one of those machines that grinds hamsters. And I was like, oh, oh. God, this got dark. Make a, make a key of hamster. All right. Let's get into some news, shall we? Well, Before... we're getting into some news. We're getting into the news. Yeah. So this is fun. Okay. I was kind of excited for today's podcast. A, because we have some fun games to talk about. And we'll get to those a little bit later. It's going to be uh, Nobody Saves the World, some Ollie Ollie World preview stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Resident Evil Village. Before we get to that, though, we're going to lead off with the news, and it's we've all been podcasting for a long time. We've all been in this industry. You guys have been in longer than I have uh, covering it, and you don't often have gigantic, uh, to, to borrow a word, megaton news that isn't primarily about the suffering of people in the industry. So... Of course, the last handful of years, yes, for sure. So, of course, this is game news, so it'll have some tangent. There is definitely some <laughs> suffering attached to this. Yes, to, attached to it, but really, on its face, it's a business deal that is just very big in the industry. But, of course, it's the video game industry, so there is some uh, 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 on the heels of suffering going on. And if you've been listening to this podcast over the last several months, you probably know which company and which suffering we're talking about. I think I think that's probably broadly applicable to society at this point. Yeah, yeah maybe. Maybe where we are at, I think human suffering underpins all daily existence at this point. So, so the big business headline here, and if you haven't heard this, hold on to your butt. Microsoft. Maker of the Xbox game platform. Yes, also 
Windows 2000, Microsoft Bob. That's right, best uh-huh. known for Windows 2000 and uh-huh. uh, and the Xbox and the Zune. Uh, makers of those fine products uh, are in plans, in cahoots, in negotiations, in signing at different stages of acquiring Activision, mm-hmm. makers of Skylanders, Candy Crush, and Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. Well, they, let's, let's wrap that up. It's Activision. It is Blizzard. It is King. That's right. That's right. King well, is the mobile division. <laughs> right. So uh, they are. They have announced their intent to uh, merge, to buy, to purchase. Now this is going to take a while to go through. It is a, a gigantic deal. Uh, you're talking about one uh, Jupiter-sized company and one, let's say, Neptune to other giant planet-sized company uh, trying to get together here. So I think. The last estimate I saw, and at the time of this recording, uh, some of the smoke and dust has settled, but there's still some up in the air. The last I saw was like 2023 summer for maybe June, to actually yeah. go through. So, yeah, I think that's the end of Microsoft's fiscal. So I think they said by the end of that fiscal year it'll be done, although it could be done sooner. Yeah. But still, that's like 18 months from now. That's crazy. Yeah. Like so, other, other multi-billion dollar acquisitions that I have followed in the past only take like six months or something to close. So, like, this is – but also, like – by like so many different metrics, this is the, like basically the biggest news story that I think has ever happened in the business of video games. It is certainly one of, the biggest I can think of in my lifetime of working in games. But like one of those metrics I just read this morning is that this is the single biggest cash acquisition of a company in American history. Like, oh, is it's it? Cause crazy, I, yes. Because I had seen it as the biggest purchase Microsoft has made. Oh, for sure, dude, yeah. But like so, cash, specifically cash. They're paying. They're paying cash for shares of of. The company and how much it's cash? Red. It's not a stock swap or anything, but it's like, well, this number keeps moving around. It was originally reported at sixty-eight point seven billion. A lot of people were rounding that up to seventy. Wait, don't swallow that number. As you got you to say that number. Sixty-eight point seven billion dollars. Yes. The uh, next well, the, closest transaction was last week. Yes, I know. Like, I love that. Like we just passed the previously biggest acquisition ever for a video game company, which was twelve billion for Zynga by Take Two. Which we uh, literally talked about last week. Yeah. And that um, was huge. Yeah. Yes. To, to give some perspective, uh, I think we talked about some other things, but Marvel's acquisition was like $4 billion ish in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you go, it's, it's been, it's been interesting slash very depressing watching the inflation of corporate acquisitions over the last, say, 15, 20 years. Cause like, what was Marvel? Like $4 billion? Right, I think that's what it was. Yeah, like Lucasfilm was also four. I think Pixar was like what seven, if I remember, or something like that. Like, but if you know, if you go back, like we talked about this on the Ramblecast yesterday, but like YouTube was like one point four, one point six, or something, which just seems positively quaint. It hasn't been that long, right? No, and and like just over time, you know, it's like oh, WhatsApp got like nineteen, and LinkedIn was like twenty six, and then all seventy. Wow, yeah, there sure is a lot of money concentrated in the hands of a very small number of corporations and shareholders. I think one thing we can say definitively now is that a billion dollars is no longer cool. <laughs> I mean, listen, the social I, network is now outdated. I don't I mean, need to be cool. Um, you can give me a billion dollars. I mean, my, Microsoft, to put this into some more perspective, Microsoft is now a more than $2 trillion company. So It's it's a hard to fathom, like, in practical terms, amount of money, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it, is, it is both, like, eye-opening and also kind of sickening in equal measure to me. 
It's yeah, now it's bigger like, than oh, several economies across like, the world, isn't it? It's like, it's like oh, wow, this, these numbers are just spectacularly huge. And also, like, oh, wow, that sucks. That that's where all the money is these days. So, um, anyway, there's a lot to kind of peel away here. Uh, one thing I'll just shout out here that I thought was interesting was it was, analysts reported that uh, this acquisition would increase Microsoft's video game revenue by about half. So, like, that's that's pretty substantial, yeah. Uh, according to um, the article that was in the uh, Wall Street Journal, so that's like that's a pretty big video game acquisition. And Microsoft has been on a tear acquiring studios and companies, just kind of trying to do big picture stuff here. So, if you are anybody listening to this plays video games, or or maybe they know about the video game industry, this is essentially a video game podcast. It's like, you got players. You got Microsoft, you got Sony, you have Nintendo. Another thing that kind of I didn't know until I was reading this story was this still doesn't put Microsoft above Sony. This, yes, this makes them the number three video game company in the world. <laughs> behind, behind Tencent at number one and then Sony at number two. So, yeah, like Xbox plus Activision revenue is still not quite enough to top what Sony itself has been bringing in on the and we've talked. Brand. We've talked before about how, as a whole, Microsoft as a corporation is bigger than Sony. But the oh, main like, thing like, is that Sony massively bigger. Sony's PlayStation division is its biggest division. It is the, like it is its most successful division. Whereas Microsoft has its fingers in so many other different aspects of tech and commerce that they, you know, their gaming division can get this much bigger. But also, they are still, you know, like it, it is. It is still a fraction of what that corporation is. Yeah, so, yeah, the Sony Group is the comparison we're trying to make in terms of, uh, in terms of that, but. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, not, not that it's really super germane here, but I haven't followed the fortunes of Sony corporations that much lately, but yeah, my understanding is that most of their other business units are not. I think TV say not, is still start, well. It's to say not enormously healthy. I think they're probably okay, but like PlayStation is the thing for Sony at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely not the case in the past. Uh, You know, it's important to remember Microsoft's inroads into Japan have been, you know, challenging, uh, you know, to to get an install base there. Sony has a very strong foothold in a lot of Europe. uh, And and I'm not really sure where, like, emerging, emerging, probably, established markets like China are at this point in terms of console. Console business is weird because, like, consoles did not ship or sell in China for a very long time, and I think still mm, they're still very heavily regulated. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not been a fully tapped market. Like, I'm pretty sure the versions of consoles that come out in China are technologically somewhat different than the ones that come out in other countries because there are certain things that they have to pass as far as like regulations go there. And, yeah. and I'm sure some of our listeners could, could fill me in better um, that live in South America, but I know there's there are all sorts of tariffs and, and taxes, and, and consoles were just extremely expensive getting down there. But I they are. Say, there's still a very big gaming audience throughout South America and other continents, but, like, yes, there there is also a, a hefty tax put on a lot of that stuff. And I want to say, like, Sony also had, or, or PlayStation had a pretty decent established base there, too, but I, I could be wrong, um, and that information could be old. Either yeah. way... Uh, in terms of kind of like market share, important to remember that stuff. But in terms of software on its face, hey, what does this mean? Well, it means that Microsoft is now bringing in-house Activision's development teams and franchises, and along with Activ- Blizzard's, 
you know, properties. So Dude, I, I just have to, like, stop for a second and step back here. <laughs> just, yeah. like, marvel at the absolute magnitude of this, mm-hmm. of this news as news. Like, as, maybe this is getting a little into the weeds. This is maybe a little bit, like, you know, movie writers writing movies about writing movies. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But, like, a little bit navel-gazing, like, being in the games press, like, going back, like, 20 years, you know? Like, for as long as we were at GameSpot and all that stuff, like, this story was the template for what would be, like, the biggest story ever, right? Like, like if you if we would sit around and kind of navel-gaze about, like, oh, what would be, like, the biggest news we could talk about on a podcast? Yeah. It was always console maker buys leading third-party publisher. Right. I feel like the big, the big one was, like, Nintendo bought Sega, right? Like, that Basically, was, yeah. That was or, the one like, time. Or, you know, like, Sony bought EA, Microsoft yeah. bought Activision. You know right. what I mean? Like, that was always the thing that was just, like, this would <laughs> never happen. Those companies are too big. Like, yeah. This could they could they would never sell because why would they want to not sell their games on everything like this this is impossible you know and like and yet here it is it has happened and it's just wild. Well, not only has it happened, Activision was one of the bigger ones, if not the biggest. Like they're you know EG, especially post Blizzard, absolutely. EA and uh, EA I think was close. Like Ubisoft is as I think in terms of revenue uh, further down there, but like Activision is massive mm-hmm. and and big and I mean. Microsoft paid above stock price for this? So 45% above. Yeah, but it's like current, current stock price, yeah. which is like massively, that's kind of a digging into the reporting that has been coming out over the last 24 hours. Like, the big question was, did this happen because of the state lawsuits and the harassment and general workplace toxicity scandals that have been going on? Seems like the answer is yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, the chain of events that's coming out is that essentially, like, Phil Spencer called up Bobby Kotick because their stock was in the toilet and they had all these problems and like, you know, there's all these details coming out about like Bobby had lost the faith of the board entirely. Like they were not willing to back him. Did you, you mind running through some of that in uh like, yeah. I, I know some of that timeline has, has started to come out like about last November and you know, when, it's also been calls. a bit since we've really checked in on where um, this stuff was. The, the general trajectory yeah. is that their stock was at a high last February of mm-hmm. a little over a hundred dollars a share, like 104 or something like that. And like, I think it, if I, I'd have to go look at the chart, but I'm pretty sure it had declined some even before the multitude of scandals broke. Because Activision has, like, we'll get into it, but Activision, I don't think, has been in a great place just in terms of its product lineup for quite some time. Yeah. Um, but I think there was a little decline there before and then, like, massive just off a cliff after all the scandals started emerging. So... Even though they're paying massively more than it's worth now, they are still Microsoft, that is. Yeah. It's paying more than the stock it's worth now, which is what happens in an acquisition. They are still paying less than the stock was actually valued, like, this time last year. So it's and definitely a very opportunistic, like, we're going to swoop in. and We'll give you most of the money you would have gotten if we had done this at the peak. Get this, get this bargain basement deal on this, <laughs> on probably the biggest third-party publisher in video games. And it's incredible to say the words bargain basement for a $68.7 billion deal, but that is just kind of where we're at now. Yeah. So if we, if you don't mind um, kind of revisiting some of this timeline stuff, because we we are not in this deal, obviously, but we have been around, you know, part of our experience, not only in the gaming field, has been around corporations and acquisitions. Yeah, these things do take time, and I've seen people talking about how early was this in the works, you know, things like this take months, if not years, before they're announced, but it kind of seems like maybe that's not the case here, especially for the size of this thing, where the announcement is coming fairly quickly after 
real, real talks. I mean, I'm sure there were, were like talks that happened, but Phil and Bobby talks about, hey, I think one of the one of the articles I was reading said we can offer you a graceful exit. Yeah. Um, uh, those kind of talks, which sounded like maybe kicking off around November, is that is that correct? I don't think they said exactly when they started talking. And I mean, you know, like you, the thing you always hear is like everybody's always talking to everybody. So right. Like, even in some of the interviews and stuff that have come out, it's like, oh yes, uh, yes, Phil and I were talking for years and right. had spoken about this sort of thing before. But like, really, it's the embattled nature of the company and the resultant, you know, dip in share price that kind of forced their hand, right? Like the that's what actually made them pull the trigger because, like, the reporting is that different members of the Activision board were getting antsy about yeah. what was going on, that they were – How to resolve it. That they didn't feel confident to try to get rid of Kodak, even though I think they probably – if they really banded together, I'm sure they probably could have made it happen. But, like, they didn't want to, like – they were looking for an easier solution to the problem than, like, trying to upend the whole table. And then here's Microsoft with $70 billion. Here's the thing that will make your shareholders happy on top of everything else. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think some of the some of the takeaway I was getting was yes, exactly what you said. They they kind of didn't really know what to do about the Bobby situation, but also understood he did not have the faith of not the the fellow board members, but also the company. Like right. yeah. yeah, yeah, we're we're kind of glossing over what was happening on the ground. I mean, that's just what was taking place at like rich people board level. <laughs> right. I mean, but, on the ground yeah. level, like. Like, Things were getting to a place where, like, there is a straight-up strike fund that has been right. organized by various Activision workers. There are uh, Raven software people that are still, I think, on strike uh, because of the layoffs in the QA department there. And, you know, there's basically been a groundswell of support and, and, and push toward possible unionization for a workforce in a major third-party publisher and uh, developer, which is unheard of in the United States. It has not happened at this scale or anywhere even close to the scale at this point. And if anything is going to make a board like Activision's incredibly nervous and put realize that they are not in a position to, like, weather this, it's something like that. Because that is the last thing in the world any major publisher wants from their workforce at this point. So it, it's um, – <laughs> there's an interview that, that went up with, with, with uh, Bobby Kodak, who is the, you know, CEO of Activision. Um, and it's it's like I don't know, reads like a big fluff piece where he it's a garbage <laughs> interview. I will just say that out of here. So entirely full of shit. <laughs> the character telling no, it is ridiculous. The, the whole like, thing is a, you know, a it's just a situation to make better Skylanders, Candy Crush, and we're finally going to make the Guitar Hero game Bobby always wanted. Just just completely defers on the question of whether any of the scandals had anything to do with this happening, and it was, and blamed it more on like oh I think it was more Diablo Four and Overwatch Two shit uh, slipping from the yeah. schedule and what that did to stock price. Like, right. Yes. yes exactly. Just there's no accountability whatsoever. Just throw it throw it at the feet of these teams that are already overworked and overburdened to the point of breaking. You know, just like say it's their fault because uh, yeah. Because all Bobby gives a shit about his appearances. It's kind of like one of the most interesting aspects of this to me is like really stepping back and looking at like what Microsoft is getting here and what they're going to what they are now managing. Right. And what they're going to be tasked with rejuvenating, right? I mean there's like there's the workforce issues, which is like a separate conversation from like strategic IP management, you know, like which games to put out when and how and that sort of thing. But like yes, obviously they're gonna to have to rebuild the trust of the workforce, which my sense is that Microsoft is a decent place to work. 
I mean, they, I mean, not, they are not without their own uh, yeah. internal allegations. Yeah, was there was a lot of either. stuff about contractors being kind of worked uh, very much on, especially on the three four three side. Like, yeah. like a lot of contract labor getting burned out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, no, no corporation is anywhere near perfect, of course, but like compared to Activision, <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be an upgrade. Um, uh, yeah, but then, but then there's also the like, I mean, there's just a matter of like, what did Activision have going on, like. Like Blizzard across the board has been kind of lost in the woods for years at this point, I think. Yeah. Uh, like Activision proper is so far removed from that heyday of like, mm. I mean, remember, remember when it wasn't just Call of Duty? It was like almost all of the biggest franchises in the industry were Activision. Like they yeah. had Tony Hawk, Guitar Hero, Skylanders, Call of Duty all going. Yeah. All things they ran into the ground. And, like, we talked about this for years, that as all of those pillars fell away except for Call of Duty, like, they never really showed up with anything to replace them. Yeah, they, they... still the state that they're in now, and, like, you know, all, all, all indications are that this year's Call of Duty didn't do what they would have liked. Like, obviously, Warzone is still a huge thing there, so, like, that's... But they're also running into problems with Warzone now, especially on that QA side of things. It sounds like that thing has started to get a little more unstable as they have tried to pare back on their QA labor for it. You know they they have King, which you know is yeah. is a big yeah. deal, uh, and will will continue to be a big deal, uh, and and I'm sure they want to continue to compete in that in that mobile space and in that. and Microsoft would like to compete at all in that mobile space because they just really haven't for the most part. Yeah, so look for you know your pack in your your further pack ins with Windows 11. Windows hey, 11. Look, look, I've got my Windows Phone 7 in the drawer right here. <laughs> um, you know, I I think Blizzard is a company that I think under some really good stewardship, they have a lot of break in case of emergency stuff that they have broken. You know, they have gone back to the well on some things, and it maybe hasn't panned out entirely. But I think under the right stewardship, there's a legacy there that's valuable, that, that has value. You know, we'll see what Overwatch 2 is. I don't I don't really know. Yeah, I don't have the greatest expectations for that. Like, the the – the moment for me that Blizzard, like, totally, like, I, I fully came to terms with where Blizzard is at is when those stories came out two, three years ago about they were essentially trying to make StarCraft Battlefield. Do you remember that? I, no, I don't remember that. Yeah, so that was, like, some, I think it's like, a Jason Schreier story or somebody similar of just, like, hey, yeah, they worked the prototypes for ages on trying to make, like, a large-scale multiplayer shooter set in the StarCraft universe. And it didn't pan out, and they canceled it. But, like... To me, that was just like, that was the idea that you go to when you've got all these properties and you're not really sure where to go with them at this point. Mm. It's just like, hey, let's just take this IP and graft it onto other popular video game templates. Well, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this about Phil Spencer. And some of this, you know, we've talked to him in person. He seems like a, a really good head on his shoulders in terms of industry, um, uh, seeing where the industry is going. And, but very specifically, he seems like he understands the balance between nostalgia and new. Like, he, he seems like he understands what the people who grew up with the, these games want to see and also having to meet the standards of a new audience in, in a lot of ways. And he I knows think, how to balance those things in a way I, where it doesn't skew too far in one direction or the other. It seems like it. And, and yeah. again, I, I'm not trying to say he, he's uh, – you know, a, a wizard, you know, at, at that stuff. He just he comes across as somebody who really understands that space in a way that maybe Activision could use because Activision, 
Activision has a stable of legacy stuff that could be appealing to bring back in a in a modern form. Yeah, like they've they've got a kind of a pretty. I mean, especially from my perspective as an old person who played a lot of computer games in the '90s, like they have a pretty impressive catalog of IP. Actually, I've got a list here that I will go through. Yeah, I, but it's wild. But, like the problem for me is that they married those properties to the shittiest possible business model in video games. Right. Which is right. like, like if you remember, I mean, like I think Kodak bought Activision and kind of remade it. What in the early nineties? But it wasn't. Until yeah, he fired yeah. everyone and just re- like restarted the whole thing. Ninety-one right, for four hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't. It wasn't until like the mid two thousands that like modern Activision really came into its own. But if you remember back when they were cranking out Guitar Heroes and Call of Duties and all that stuff, like, he literally was out there saying this and also in the hiring decisions they were making that they wanted to turn video games into into packaged goods. Like, if you remember, they were hiring people who came from industries like crackers and mm-hmm. laundry detergent. Do you remember this? I don't. No, I don't. Like, 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 they spoke very openly about how, the, and that's where the annualized Guitar Hero and Call of Duty model came from, was essentially an effort to sell people the same product over and over and over, just like you do with soda soda and detergent and, and snack crackers and stuff like that. Like That was what they were pursuing, was we just want a pipeline that will crank these games out as fast as we possibly can to infinitely increase shareholder value until the end of time. Like That was yeah. what they were trying to do, and <clears throat> that sucks. Yeah. And just as an addendum here, I should say that I do have a personal stake in this because I've worked for a company that was directly competing with one of those products that got run into the ground by that business model. And I will just say that I have my own personal opinions about that sort of thing. But they're not really germane to what we're talking about here. For people who don't know, you're talking about Harmonix. Yeah, I worked at Harmonix for for a couple of years. And and, Rock Band versus Guitar Hero. And that, that arms race, you know, is something that I was entrenched in for a little bit there. And, you know... There were some definite opinions about Bobby Kotick and how they were going about selling Guitar Hero and mm-hmm. what they had kind of kind of were doing to the video game marketplace in general. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, we're going to take a quick break here and come back with some more. Uh, I want to hear more about what they're getting in your list of uh, Activision properties. Before we go, though, I do want to uh, mention, we kind of mentioned uh, a lot about Bobby here, and uh, this kind of just jumped out at me that um, – I I thought he had a much higher stake in the company. It turns out he has about 0.5% of Activision. But if you look at 0.5 of an astronomical number, like uh, uh, upwards of 70 billion possibly, um, you're talking maybe about 400 million at that that deal price. Oh, we're cashing you out, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Bobby, and I, I guess we should also say there has been a lot of because uh, I kind of want to leave some of the Bobby stuff behind, but at, at this side of the break, um, there's a talk about is he staying? Is he going? It seems like the rumors are that he is going to come through on the with the deal and then leave after the deal, probably get his big his payout and then and then walk. Everything you read officially says Bobby's thumbs up and he's good to go for this this working at Microsoft and going to be there to help the team. But I, my gut also says probably believe the rumor mill on this one, and Microsoft wants him out of the picture as soon as they can. All I'll say as an addendum to that is uh, this all does certainly put an interesting spin on that comment from Phil Spencer last week where he was talking about how it's not really his job to shame another company for their various, uh, you know, transgressions, shall we say. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> 
soon as that deal closes, it'll be entirely his job <laughs> to right. deal with that problem. Not only his job, but his his mandate to have to uh, say that stuff. So, yeah. Fuck. We got more to say here, though. We'll be, right. we'll be back yeah. in a minute. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with some more Activision and some of their properties to talk about when we come back. Stick around. This week's show is brought to you by Manscaped. Alex Navarro. Yes, Vinny Caravella. We are back again with Manscaped, and they have a new ultra-premium collection. What's in this collection, Vinny? Well, they not only have this uh, 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 collection full of goodies, but they have a step-by-step illustration uh, process here to go along with it. I'm going to take you through this journey. Please do. With me. Okay. Uh, and at the end here, I'll tell you about uh, how you can get in on some of them. Uh, so we have our cologne-infused ultra-premium body wash with aloe vera and sea salt. Okay. That's, uh, that's your body wash. I can see all clean there. You know? mm-hmm. Then you got uh, then you get time for your hair. My hair. Your hair. Mm-hmm. Well, Anyone's hair, really. People with hair. With their two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Okay. Put that on. If you have hair, let's say. Anyway, I mean, listen, probably got hair somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can put it on there. And it probably needs to be washed. If, <laughs> if I know anything, it probably needs to be washed. Then you got your uh, 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 aluminum-free deodorant. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I got rid of the aluminum in my deodorant. Sounds like Manscaped doesn't have it in theirs. We agree. Um, dries clear. Also has cologne in it. For your skin, hydrating body moisturizer. Oh, I could really use that. I, I got the dry skin. Well, keep her skin moisturized with her body moisturizer. We're up to step five, and it's time for the lip balm. Balm. I use that lip balm. You know what? My lips, what? they get chapped. It's wintertime. It's cold. It sucks. Yeah. Use that lip balm. Mm-hmm. Make your lips feel good. Aw. Uh, that's a free gift when you get the Ultra Premium Collection. Last but not least, the Lawn Mower 4.0 Electric Trimmer. And that's to trim the hedge. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, the hedge, anywhere else, you got some grass growing. You know, you want to you wanna take that grass down a little bit? You can use it. Or a lot of it. <laughs> you can take it down. Uh, designed to trim hair on loose skin. So where we got that loose skin? Say, down under in the no-no zone. You in the get bush. Down. And <laughs> take that trimmer, come out A-OK. Uh, this new bundle, they say it's going to change life. Uh, how can you get it? Well, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEXTLANDER at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEXTLANDER at manscaped.com. Time to get wet and clean with your new Manscaped shower routine. Oh, my. Oh, 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 my. Thanks, Manscaped. All right, we are back. Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the video games here, the, the landscape of this stuff. Brad, you said you had a, a list of some properties. Yeah, before I get into this, uh, the thing I was going to follow up on from before is when I was talking about Activision's shitty old super corporate approach to analyzing packaged yeah. goods in video game form. Like, looking at what Microsoft is now and what the Xbox business is now and where it's going puts what they're going to do with these properties in such a different light. Because, like, 
increasingly the Xbox division is like similar to the original content arm of Netflix, right? Like that's increasingly what Microsoft is doing in the video game space is just ginning up more content for Game Pass. Like it's right. not it's not selling these at sixty dollar profit. I mean, I'm sure they will continue to <laughs> let you pay sixty dollars per game for quite some time if, if Please, seventy. Seventy. We're up to seventy now. Have they made that transition? I think it's, it's I been on a per-publisher basis. I don't know if Microsoft has actually been charging yeah, up 70 actually, for their first-party stuff. I would have to I would have to double-check that. But anyway, the point yeah. is, like, you know, they've got all these properties, and they can turn these properties toward the, the purpose of filling out the Game Pass slate, right, mm-hmm. rather than having to make each one of these properties a billion-dollar proposition every year. Right. These can take the form of all kinds of large and small, you know, Jewels in Game Pass crown, I guess, because the jewels they, they now own so many damn uh, IP at this point. Well, probably what are some uh, of the greatest hits of that? All right, I'm just gonna read this list that the yeah. Games Chronicle put together. They did they did the important work of just listing out all the properties that Microsoft is getting here, such as Blur, okay, Caesar, Call of Duty, and Candy Crush, of course, Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot is now a Microsoft property. Finally. Diablo, DJ Hero, Empire Earth, Gabriel Knight. Uh-huh. Geometry Wars, which, like, that was the only material I came up it's with coming yesterday. coming home, lads. That was, the, that was the only material I came up with yesterday when this news came out. was like, oh, it's kind of a lot to pay to bring Geometry Wars back in-house. But nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, Guitar Hero, Gun. Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, Hexen, Interstate 76, King's Quest, Laura Bow Mysteries, like I said, a bunch of, like, PC classics in here. Lost Vikings, Overwatch, Phantasmagoria, Pitfall, Police Quest, Prototype, remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Quest for Glory, Singularity, Skylanders, A Soldier of Fortune, Space Quest, Spyro the Dragon, Starcraft, um... This says the Legacy Tenshu games. I guess that means, like, they own the rights to specific Tenshu games, but not the overall franchise. Time Shift. <laughs> Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Okay, I heard of it. Through Crime. World of Warcraft. Interesting that they didn't just put Warcraft on this list. Uh, and Zork. 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 The whole Zork. thing. We were playing a Zork game not not a week ago. Did you, did you? I'm sorry. Did you say Pitfall? Was that on the yes, list? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Pitfall. Pitfall, um, Pitfall Harry is now part of the Microsoft family. Like that's that's a bunch of classic properties, and like if who knows like what Microsoft in their weird new incarnation of just needing to come up with a bunch of weird, interesting shit might throw like small and medium sized budgets at right. Like, and what studios they might throw at? I mean, that's some stuff that I could see them throwing at like a Double Fine or a Ninja Theory, right? You know, like to work on the side with their other big properties. Totally. Like, imagine if Double well, Double I was starting to say, imagine if Double Fine made a new point-and-click adventure game. That's probably not going <laughs> to Oh, my gosh. Like, because you, you kind of, okay, you kind of now have Sierra and LucasArts right. in the same kind building. Of. That's, like, super weird that here is Tim Schafer, like, the storied <laughs> creator of LucasArts adventure games with access to all of LucasArts' biggest competitors' properties. That is really weird. Like, could you, could you have them meet? Could you have... Oh my gosh! Wait, you could totally have—I uh, don't know—name a King's Quest character because I don't know any. Or they like, 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 what if Tim Schafer made a Space Quest game? 
But what if you what if you have Monkey Island meets King's Quest in some weird like crossover event sure. where that where that uh, weird drugged up owl is there, uh, and you know the drugged up owl wants you, you to play Cedric Lynn. that way. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, Cedric Cedric has a problem. Okay, very clearly can't hold his liquor. Um, that is super weird. It's I, very weird. I uh, I don't know if that will happen. But it should. Well, here's the thing. We don't know what's going to happen at all because there are still a lot of hoops this deal has to go through. To a lot of hoops. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we kind of alluded to this, but, like, so you've probably seen a lot of talk around what this would mean in an antitrust situation, what the FTC would say to a deal like this. The, the key thing to understand here is that the current incarnation of the FTC, while somewhat different from the one that existed during the Trump years, is not one that has been empowered to go after major companies like this uh, to, you know, to, to file antitrust suits for these kinds of mergers uh, in a very long time, like even since, like, the Obama years. Yeah, like, I mean, yes, the Obama administration famously declined to pursue antitrust action that was recommended by its own FTC, so, like... I guess the question, if you're asking yourself, do we live in an oligarchy? Yes, <laughs> we do. Is, the answer is increasingly yes. There was I that, would, there was that recent story that the FTC said they're gonna, they're gonna perk up a little bit. Like uh, literally yesterday, like yeah. literally the same day this news came out, there was also that story that yes, they are, they're kind of redefining some of the terms. But what that means in the context of this, we have no idea. I'm I, just I, yeah. like, I, is, I, I think that if anything, even if they are going to perk up their ears a little bit and give this a little bit more scrutiny, the sheer amount of lobbying power that a company like Microsoft has at this point, they can find their way through it. I, I would, I would bet money there will be zero significant regulatory action around this. I mean, at all. Microsoft is one of the few companies I could think of that actually had their uh, wrists slapped for for this stuff with Internet Explorer and was it Windows? 7? And look, look how chastened they were after that. Yeah, right. So like, I bet they know how to navigate this and would not enter into something like this lightly without knowing that path is clear in front of them. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, it's also it's a very different government now than it was then, sadly. Sure, but um, is it a different Microsoft? Like you think they're like in some yeah, ways, I mean, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, I'd say the, the Satya Nadella years have been a kinder, a kinder, gentler Microsoft to some degree. I mean, but they Microsoft, are still Microsoft at their core. I think uh, Microsoft is the richest it's ever been. Like they're, they're oh, for sure, yeah, the absolutely. Uh, but I mean, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's like even even after this deal, they are still only the number three video game company behind their biggest competitor. Like, I think it's probably hard. For the government to argue that this like, constitutes any kind of monopoly or monopolistic situation, you know, when their chief competitor is still bigger than them after this, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a I massive guess. consolidation that I think makes yeah, like it hard I, I to compete in that marketplace. Yeah, I, I think like the, the reasonable position here is that it's absolutely right to be skittish about oh the yeah consolidation going on in the games industry. In this specific case, though, I think probably well, I mean, almost certainly. The workforce of Activision is better off under Microsoft than they were under Activision, because it would be hard to be worse off. Yeah, and and like I said, I think a lot of these properties might get a new lease on life because of Microsoft's different priorities and business model than than what they used to be. You know, like some of these could come back in some smaller form that never would have happened under an Activision. I, I I agree with you on the second part for sure. I'm not so sure about the first part. I, I agree with you that, yes, it would be hard to be much worse than the position the workforce at Activision was in uh, compared to other, just about anywhere else in the video game industry. But 
I do wonder how much of this is also geared toward making sure that this workforce does not unionize. That these oh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think. Is, is, is essentially prevented from getting themselves into a position where they are able to self-actualize that. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if that is kind of the prevailing attitude there, right? Is like, hey, we're way better than they were. Why do you still need to organize? Because we haven't really heard a Phil Spencer much on the record about unionization, about, like, you know, what it would mean if, like, say, Microsoft's Xbox division, like, its various development arms were to work on it toward unionizing. Like, what would that look like? How would you respond mm-hmm. to that? What would you do? It might be out there. I, I don't have it. I don't, I don't know of it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I just. I'm saying I can't think yeah. of a quote where he has been on record about that stuff. And I feel like that is the question you should start asking him if you have him in front of you, because if you are it with Activision's workforce being where it's been at, right. and then doing things like organizing strike funds, talking about you know like collective action, that is a thing that you are going to have to reckon with in addition to all the other stuff that comes along with Activision. You can't just say, like, well, you work here now, so obviously right. that's not going to happen. We've got safeguards in place to make sure that won't happen here. Yeah, like, that's it, you're asking for an awful lot of trust that I don't think any company in this industry has earned, let alone one as big and as, you know, monolithic as Microsoft. I, I think another part, just while we're on the what does this mean for the consolidation in the industry, sometimes this stuff has a way of working out where you now have so many de- people dependent on the fortunes of one company that that company, I hate to steal the, the phrase or borrow it, um, too big to fail, but if Microsoft gets in trouble, you can't just, a lot of, the government might have a hard time letting Microsoft just fucking eat it. So they become I almost. No, I don't know what trouble for a company like Microsoft would actually look like. I mean, we've we've yeah, it's becoming harder and harder to recognize. But we're all old enough to see fortunes come and go from like Yahoo to companies that were very big and to to companies that weren't. I mean, they are stuff like that is getting shored up in ways that are no longer. There's just consolidation now. Something like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they would just get swallowed up by something else, right, and just become a mega company. But how do you compete against something that if it were to fail, people would, so many people would be put out of work that they would get bailed out? You know, like the you, – you, you can't, right? Like you would – like, oh, if Microsoft – if a scandal happened at the top of Microsoft, say something happened with Windows where it was just like, shit, it's just deleting all my shit or something weird. Hard to imagine with the scale of it, so maybe this isn't the best example, but you don't want all your eggs in one basket and all, you know, a huge percent. You want to be able to suffer a defeat, and that's why I believe back when antitrust was more effective, you break these things up into smaller companies that kind of live and die on their own uh, uh, bottom line there. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think in, in some hypothetical scenario where Microsoft is in rapid decline, like, there are off-ramps for the parts of the company that are still succeeding and valuable, you know, mm-hmm. like they'd spin business units off as their own company, sell them off. Gaming division. Sell, sell divisions off piecemeal to other companies. Like, if, if, let's say, Microsoft's entire enterprise business went up in smoke, like Xbox would probably end up somewhere else, or God, they're so massive. Spun off as its own thing, right? I mean, realistically, Microsoft is extremely well positioned for a future. Yeah, uh, oh, the they can weather a lot. At this yeah, point. I mean that's that's why Nadella is in charge of that company in the first place because he was the guy who really brought. I, I think he was in the office division. Like he he was an early champion of like cloud services and cloud compute and like the cloud. 
Yeah. Like he kind of saw where things were going in a way that let's say their previous leadership did not. So uh, wild. It's like, it's, you know, they're, they're very big with Azure, you know, and their and reach they, is they, so wild. Right. Like they, they, they are, they, they are in bedrock services that are not going anywhere that are just going to be more and more crucial. So they are, they are fine. It, it's got like this, it's got this like tinge of, you know, Microsoft walking into a court hearing on antitrust and standing up and doing like a, you think that's air you're breathing? <laughs> like mm-hmm. moment of like, you're in my world and like just computers shutting off and, you know, blinking. It just, the, the reach is, is really wild. And I think the also the key difference there is that Microsoft has been around long enough and is seasoned enough to weather, I think, even the most scrutiny that our government is capable of providing compared to something like a Facebook where Mark Zuckerberg literally doesn't understand how people work or how to interact with them. So he just turn, he just clams up and freezes up the second he has asked an even slightly pointed question. Like, yeah. Microsoft has the people and has the knowledge and has the, the experience to work their way through this stuff. Newer tech companies and newer tech billionaires, I think, are, are having a harder time, but they're also not getting that much of a hard time from the government. They're getting some scoldings, and that's about it. And if that's all they're going to throw at Microsoft, then they're going to – there's going to be no static in getting this deal through. What? I, 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 I do wonder – not so we don't need to belabor this too much because nobody has a crystal ball here, but I do wonder if – you know, the video game conversation traditionally has been focused on Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if that conversation starts shifting more and more to Microsoft, Netflix, Facebook, and Tencent. Like, sure, yeah. But, you know, like the massive tech conglomerates, basically, yes. that have their hands in everything now, right? Like, it's I, do, I do wonder if some of the consolidation is going to start funneling in that direction, right? Of, like... Imagine if a Facebook bought somebody the size of an Activision because they wanted in and in, you know, like Facebook buys EA or something like that, you know? Like, they're both right there in the South Bay. Uh-huh. You know, they're both right there in the South Bay. Like, that, yeah. that that deal could happen very easily, something like that, you know? Like, like I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that some of the big players in the traditional game space are going are not going to end up at, you know, the fangs of the world. My, uh, so. I, was, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and he said, um, he said he was just looking at his Netflix bill and noticed that it had gone up, not just because of their Netflix kind of raising their prices every year, but, like, I guess New York taxes Netflix now because Netflix offers games and in a way that the New York State now has to tax the subscription cost of it. But wait, do uh, they actually yet? I think they do. Uh, he said his bill went up by like a dollar something because of a tax for a gaming ta- for for because they're not just doing movies, they're doing games as well. And he was super pissed. He's like, I don't do any games on Netflix. I just want to watch my Netflix, uh, which is kind of a side story, just in the vein mm-hmm. of everybody getting into gaming. Uh, so if you're in New York, I don't know, check it out. Everyone wants their cut. I mean, that, that's kind of what I was getting at, you know, it was like Netflix has been visibly sort of like dipping a toe into video games for a while. You know, they said they're going to add games to their service. They bought Night School, the Oxenfree developer, mm-hmm. which granted, mm-hmm. like, that's one small indie studio. That's not like some massive strategic shift or something, but like, who knows what their future plans are for acquisitions, for example, or Apple's or Google's or Facebook's or anybody. Like, who knows where all this stuff's actually going to go? Not I. I do not. Um Okay. Let's pull back out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot. I've got family that plays games. Is this a thing where 
you, you, everybody knows Call of Duty. It's a pretty recognizable one. People know. Whether you the, want to or not. Yeah. Right. People know the Blizzard kind of catalog pretty well. People kind of understand what Game Pass is now and what that is. And I've had conversations now with my brothers being like, I, I don't know. It just seems like we should maybe switch to uh, an Xbox. Um, from from PlayStation. Are, from the game ecosystem. A PlayStation family? A PlayStation family to an Xbox One. I mean, I think that conversation becomes a little less controversial, is maybe not the right word. Honestly, like what you were describing is Sony's worst nightmare, right? Right. That's That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to put a. That's the thing they're still trying to play catch up on. So you you have Sony first party stuff, which is still great. I still love Sony's first party games. Like, um, I like a big AAA narrative game. I like God of War. I like um, The Last of Us. I like that Spider-Man game. Like, I love Sony's lineup. So I'm not... But Xbox Ecosystem Plus Game Pass was already very solid. This, if these things wind up coming into Game Pass in the same manner that the rest of Microsoft first-party stuff has come into Game Pass. Day and date, Game Pass launch on PC and Xbox, even if it's just on a per-platform thing. That's pretty wild, man. Oh, they they almost certainly will. Like, I would be shocked if that didn't happen, right? And well, more than that, Spencer, even. he did say, like, you know, he said the same thing he said when he like, got Bethesda. We're not looking to disenfranchise, you know, PlayStation people. And then they honored their agreements. And I think they have said Starfield is going to be an Xbox exclusive, yes. right? Yeah, yes. so, that's correct. So he said the same thing about this stuff. We're not yeah, here to disenfranchise. Yeah, he, there's some similar, slightly vague language about, like, we're not looking to separate any players from Sony's platform or something along those lines. Right. So, uh, but, but, yeah, that very easily can be read as, like, if the games they're playing right now, we're not taking them away from them. But let's say the first Call of Duty that ships after the steel is closed right. might not be on a PlayStation anymore. Like that's that's the big It'll question. Still be on a PC. Like we've kind of we've seen this go both ways, right? Like Microsoft has done it both ways with Minecraft and then with Bethesda, right? Like Minecraft, they bought Minecraft. Minecraft is too fucking big to not put out on everything forever, right? So they continue doing that. Like the Microsoft product, Minecraft, is available on the PlayStation and the Nintendo Switch. But then on the flip side of that, Bethesda apparently does not meet that bar because the next Bethesda Game Studios game, Starfield, is not going to be on a PlayStation. So like. That's the real question here. Is Call of Duty a Minecraft or a or a Starfield? Like I think right. where does that or, fall? Or I think you can kind of but I feel like you can kind of boil that down to who is making the consumer decision in that situation. Like people want to be able to get Minecraft for their kids wherever they can. You know, that is a situation where the kid doesn't really have any buying power in that. They are kind of reliant on their parents, and so it really just kind of boils down to is availability the most important thing there, and I think it is. When you right. get to stuff like Call of Duty and you get to these, like, you know, the, the the Bethesda franchises and stuff, a lot of that buying power is in the individual. It is not, like, for someone else. It's for themselves. And people are making a decision about which ecosystem they are going to buy into. And I think there is a factor there where it's like, <laughs> but basically, if we're giving people a proposition of, hey, which console platform do you want to buy into? Is it the one that has Call of Duty? Is it the one that has Starfield? Is it the one that has all this stuff? That is the attraction there. I think that is the thing you have to focus on. Because, again, a Minecraft is a thing that needs to kind of be ubiquitous just based on, you know, the way that people approach it. 
If I know kids, it just needs to be on iPad. It needs to be on something. I I think my my uninformed basement analysis is this extremely strengthens Microsoft hand Microsoft hand to getting its services onto a PlayStation. Sure. Yeah. Like, that's oh uh, well, yeah, absolutely. For like, sure. Will we see Game Pass or some form of it? Will you be logging into some Microsoft service from your PlayStation? I mean, that, yeah, that's that's been Phil Spencer's ultimate dream yeah. for as long as they've been doing this, right, is to get Game Pass onto the Switch and the PlayStation, and that's it. That's literally so, so kind of game over for, for – that's all they want. Well, well, I, I so it, it kind of goes into the kind of epic Apple Store stuff too, right? Like, I assume they want that on there so that when you buy something in Call of Duty, Microsoft makes the majority of that money, if not all of it, uh, even though it's bought on a PlayStation, right? They want a tunnel into their back-end services for any DLC or anything you buy on a PlayStation. And I wonder if that's going to come up again as um, who controls the marketplace on a platform and, right. and you know, yeah. who, what what happens there? Yeah, I mean, those are definitely the variables in that equation should it ever come to pass. And, like, that's the stuff that business people and lawyers would have to hash out. But, like, yeah. you know, the, the broad question is, does Sony feel enough pressure from, assuming they lose these IP, do they feel enough pressure to actually maybe allow something like that to happen? Which, okay, this is a megaton announcement from 20 years ago, right? This is mm-hmm. the thing that blows your mind 20 years ago. Would it blow your mind today, if we start talking about this today, if there is an icon on your PlayStation dashboard that says Xbox Game Pass on your PlayStation dashboard that lets you play, stream your Xbox games to your PlayStation, is that out? Is that in the Microsoft buys Activision realm from 20, 2000? Or is that like, I could see it. I could absolutely see it. You absolutely see it. In, in a world where in a world where Sonic the Hedgehog games have appeared on <laughs> Nintendo platforms for years now, like I could okay. do anything, frankly. Like okay. that was that was the actual <laughs> one to me. Sure. Was as soon as Sega started shipping their marquee games on Nintendo. Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. It just right. broke it. Like that was that was the moment for me that I realized <laughs> nothing, is, nothing is sacred in business, basically, yeah. is is what uh, that made clear. Yeah, I could, I could see, I could see you with if they with the streaming tech. I don't know. It's. I'm not saying it, it. 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 This is all happening next month, or this rattles everything. But I. I do believe there's strengthening of hands in a way. Activision is big enough. Those properties are big enough to probably have platform holders rethinking their relationship with Microsoft in terms of how we how they want to go about this. Um. For these games, I mean, yeah, yeah it's it's a, I mean, Starfield was a thing that I was curious to see how that plays out, and now with Activision in the mix, I'm not a big Call of Duty fan, but I think Call of Duty still has a lot of really big vocal support. It's still there. huge, apparently. Like I, it, it's kind of easy for us to look at like, oh, Vanguard was down thirty percent over the last one and stuff like that, and say like, oh, there goes Call of Duty, like its fortunes are in decline. But apparently, it's like I think. If I if I read correctly, I wish I had this list in front of me. I think like the two the highest grossing two highest grossing games last year were both Call of Duty. Sure, and Warzone yeah, probably still means so like it's yeah. still huge. Like it's maybe not as a bad year for Call of Duty is still a better year than most video games get. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, that's where I would I would place my bet that that all of this stuff is going to be exclusive to 
Xbox platforms going forward until until such business circumstances arise that it makes sense for them to let Sony have them again. I bet something like Warzone could very easily continue to appear on other platforms. That, that one, you're probably right. I think that's probably, because it's free-to-play, I could see yeah. that one. Maybe but anything else, thing. anything that yeah. is, like, specific branded new big product, yeah, I think that's that's coming solely in-house. Like, like, like the annual Call of Duty release, I could absolutely see being an Xbox exclusive. Like Diablo 4, I could see, unless unless there's, like, some weird... You know, like, oh, they already started taking pre-orders on PlayStation for Diablo 4, and they don't want to make people angry, so they let those go, and they just, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that one was in a situation where it's like, okay, we'll let them have that one. I think whenever those numbers but, get crunched, they will make a decision based on, like, how how much uproar would there actually be if we pulled this in. Like, but, you know, let's say, like, in a world where a Diablo 5 and an Overwatch 3 were imminent right after these next ones, like, mm-hmm. those would absolutely be Xbox exclusive. Totally. Like, I would, I would expect all of this stuff to go behind the... Go behind the green curtain. And you nice. behind the green curtain. Do you and do you think they would be timed exclusive or do you think they would just be no permanent. exclusive? No permanent. permanent. Well, I mean yeah. again, whenever we talk about Xbox here, we are talking about PC also, which is, right. you know, th- at this point Microsoft has wholly embraced this notion of everything we do comes out uh, for Windows and it comes out uh, on the Xbox. It is wherever we have a fingerprint right. for the Microsoft Xbox platform. Right, like they want to get their storefront and or streaming technology onto every platform they possibly can. Right, and, and at some point, if it becomes, a, a, you know, a, like, you, like we were sort of bandying before, if it becomes sensible for a company like Sony to allow the the Xbox platform to exist somewhere in their ecosystem, then I, you know, Microsoft would certainly do it. It's really just up to, like, what is PlayStation's pride at this point? What are they willing to put up with? Because they've always been the ones that are most steadfast about... They were the ones that were the biggest assholes about crossplay for so long. It's and it is important to remember, and it was important for me to remember this in going over this morning's news. Sony still, you know, if you run the numbers ahead of Microsoft in terms yeah, of right, uh, right. right, they're not so there like, yet. Granted, granted, like that's based on current revenue, which right. includes things like Call of Duty exclusivity, right? Like mm-hmm. the, once. Once Microsoft starts plucking those things away from them, that has some effect on their revenue. Maybe not a huge amount, but you know, it's like Sony, <coughs> Sony and Nintendo are still market leaders. Like they yeah, they're in a position of power. They, they don't have. They still don't have to submit to, to the, the Game Pass creep. Just it's yet. also impossible to judge this stuff based on hardware sales in the way we normally would, because both those consoles continue to sell out in about seven seconds whenever they show up anywhere. So it's hard to know what those numbers actually are at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the previous generation, like the Microsoft stopped reporting, reporting hardware sales numbers mm-hmm. years ago, which in itself is telling, but, like, the the estimates out there for PS4 installed days versus Xbox One are, like, massive, massive disparity. Yeah, for 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 PS4, in PS4's yeah, favor. Like, like, yeah. like tens of millions yeah. more PS4s yeah. out there. Sony is not in a weak position, so, like, right. I think it's just important to remember that as we go through what's Sony's response to this and like, their pride and like, their, their, you know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think this necessarily, like, pushes them. Well, they're not back into a corner necessarily by this, but it does start tightening the screws. But, you know, it's, it's a, a thing they will have to address no matter what. Right. It is, it is a power of, play by Microsoft. Right. Yes, absolutely. That is very much like, hey, we are one of the biggest companies on the planet. We have yeah. – our, our leadership has empowered us to use a lot of this money we have sitting around to buy things that are simply out of your reach. And it's tempting to say that, like, this is Microsoft's not fucking around moment, but to be honest, the Bethesda deal was their not fucking around moment. Right. Like, like, I understand the that. market share is much smaller there, <laughs> but that was still a huge, like, crazy thing when it happened. Dude, yeah, like that, I can't believe that was only 18 months ago, and that was a deal a tenth the size of this, and even that felt like 
Yeah. Wow, they really have taken the gloves off. They are not messing around. And now yeah. Microsoft think, now has Call of Duty, Doom, and Halo uh, right. uh, in, in, as first-party games. I think I uh, I think this is the last one of these they get. I think I think <laughs> if they go and buy up anybody else significant after this, like public sentiment is probably going to start turning harder than it already has. I think like, at this point, if you're going to do it, you have to focus on individual studios, right. people that make specific games right. that, that you want to bolster your thing. You can't do another publisher deal. That, like that's that. what I mean about if they were to then go buy, I don't know, Capcom or Sega or... Oh, that's even bigger than I was thinking. I was thinking, like, bring in, like, a super giant size or, like... Oh, no, no, no. I mean, indie that's, size. That's the kind single. of deal I think they could Yeah, make that's what I was to. thinking, right. Yeah. Sony does that all day long. Like, in, indie size single studio acquisitions are fine. I'm talking, okay. like, like, if they felt like they needed a Japanese publisher of, of note in their portfolio and they went and got a Capcom or something, like, I don't think they can do anything like this again anytime soon without, you know... I, Plenty of people are uncomfortable enough with this as it is. Like, it's, I don't think it's going to go their way. This one is really testing the goodwill, I feel like, of, like, what people feel toward Microsoft. Not because, you know, people loved Activision so much <laughs> and how dare they, but more like, when does this end? Right. What, yeah, is, right. what is the limit here? Like, this is an increasing number of important properties to put in the hands of one corporation. Yeah, you don't want to Google video game and just have Microsoft show up because that's, you know, the giant... Yeah, here's um, Phil Spencer in a Voodoo Vince shirt being like, I have all the video games. Right, uh, right. What is – like, hey, guess what? Activision's back at E3. Well, mm-hmm. how did that happen? Well, because we own them all. And we own you know, E3 also. <laughs> right, that's right. Um, there's, one, there's one thing I wanted to mention. I don't feel like it's getting a ton of play here, which is that all these Blizzard games are very likely going to end up on Steam now, <laughs> which seems wild to me to think oh, about. yeah. I forgot oh, about man. Blizzard. Microsoft. Microsoft yeah. puts all of its all of its PC stuff on Steam these days. So like, are they gonna are they gonna put World of Warcraft on Steam? Probably. Wait, wait so they so they that all still uses that authenticated the the uh, Battle.net, right? what they turned what they turned yeah, Battle.net into. Yeah. For now, for now, yeah, all, all the all of Activision's PC stuff is on Battle.net. Yes. Um, huh. I forgot. But on Steam, that. you know, Microsoft games on Steam, you log into an Xbox account within the game to get the safe syncing and achievements and stuff like that. So like. Like Diablo 4 could very well launch on Steam. All right, here's a just insane to think about. Uh, Caravella prediction mm-hmm. for what are we in 2022 right now? Ten years from now, no, eight years from now, seven years from now, we get an announcement. They're rebooting World of Warcraft, uh, and it will be available within the decade. So I think we get the announcement within six or seven years. I keep walking it back, and then it's it's got some new hook. It's on their Azure. It's on. It's in the cloud. Yeah, it's I was going to ask, what do you mean by reboot in this context? So, so they're they're bringing it back, but it's got it's because by that point, will somebody will have branded metaverse in a way that they're going to use that to say wow in the metaverse, and they're going to bring that back uh, as a because I, I think wow is probably going to have to be plateau like you know basically end of life right like wow well, yeah i don't think wow has been in a good spot for a yeah. while so i think they're going to probably be like hey you know within the next two years they're probably going to do something with wow where they're like we're we're not really doing any more content we're rethinking what the future of world of warcraft is and then they're going to within the next six or seven years they're going to have like a, a brand new meta world of warcraft uh in which it's vr something hollow it's some hook on it and we're back 
So I think I think I think they would have to do a lot of they would have to lay a lot of groundwork to rejuvenate the Warcraft brand in general before they could get away with something like that because like I don't even know what Warcraft is at this point. You know, it's like it's a dying MMO or it's an MMO that has best days are long behind it. And beyond that, like, I don't know what else there is there. It's still beloved. It was still the entry point for a lot of people in MMOs. It is like, okay, just get Warcraft Adventures out of storage and polish it up and ship it finally. And I know know this is not – sorry, go ahead, Brad. They need to, to, like, create more warm feelings around Warcraft and StarCraft, for that matter, too, in general, before they can, like, do anything new with those franchises, I think. They need to do that. I, I agree with everything you said, Brad. I think the other side of that is that uh, the idea of introducing a, a, a – even if they have some new hook for it, the idea of introducing a new MMO at this stage of video games, that feels like the biggest fool's errand I could imagine because not, – not, and this is not specifically endemic to the genre, but, I mean, we saw what happened with the new world in Amazon. Like, obviously that game was not great out of the gate, but, like – that was the first real attempt I can think of in recent memory of someone trying to put out just a fucking MMO-ass MMO, and that thing did not carry. It did not carry anywhere. And while WoW obviously has a much bigger brand thing attached to it that they could do, I don't think there is an appetite for that style of game, even in a new context. And as much as you might want to wrap up, like, all this metaverse bullshit <laughs> that people keep talking, and I will say that metaverse stuff did get wrapped up in this of because people did. involved in the deal giving quotes were talking about how this is going to be big for the metaverse. <laughs> fact, no one knows what the fuck that means. I mean, World of Warcraft. That's no one does. Like, that's literally just, like, sprinkling catnip on investors' faces. Like, yeah. all, like all it is is you have to say the word metaverse. So and NFTs. It is a yeah. proof-of-life statement to let your investors know that you are thinking about this money they want you to make. Right. Like, people, I mean, yes, people in the investment world think you're negligent if you don't say that word yeah. at this point, which is stupid, but, like, they're just playing the game. But it is complete empty horseshit at this stage of the game. And so... What that would mean for something like, like, would they try and turn World of Warcraft into their first big foray into what a metaverse might look like? I have no idea, but I also know that, like, that is going to be a tough road to hoe because at this point, no one knows what that shit means and no one knows if they're even supposed to want it. I, I agree with that. I, I still think they're going to do it. And I think also everything is already an MMO because everything is online. Is everything all the a time. metaverse then? Does metaverse mean like VR? Because I read a thing. I read one thing that said metaverse is a mix of like the confluence of like VR and it you know really depends on who you ask. Second yeah, life and and you know like oh it's like your avatar style like basically uh, Ready Player One I think is what people want the metaverse to be in the things I have read and what they're it's, actually going to get is PlayStation Home <laughs> if they're lucky um, yeah or or a second life uh, style thing so no you know what second life is probably going to be light years ahead of whatever actual offering comes out just to kick this horse shit off well I bought an NFT of the metaverse version of the sale cool I'm so. going to jump out this window <laughs> so I hope hopefully uh, hopefully that gets um, hopefully that cashes in for old Caravella and uh, I'm cashing you out then thumbs up on this one this um I what a thing man it's it's can't be understated at least for us having been around this stuff for a long time just a huge announcement and a kind of shift of the players on the board uh, in this space. 
TBD for a lot of this stuff, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, TBD like, for a while, right? It's like this thing doesn't even close for a year plus, and then they have to, like, you know, integrate a giant corporation into another giant corporation. They have to, like, start laying strategic plans. They then have to make video games based on those plans. Like, yeah, it's probably... God, it's probably four or five years from now before the dust truly settles on this and we actually really get a sense of where it was going to end up, right? I mean, some of the Bethesda stuff was felt pretty quickly. You know? Well, what I mean is, like, products that are already in motion will yeah. come out sooner, but, like, that is, you know, those bear the legacy of, you know, where they began. Yeah, reshuffling like, of studios. And, that's that's and, what I'm saying yeah. is, like, putting, say, internal Microsoft or even external studios on old Activision properties that have just been sitting there for a while, like, that won't even happen for a year or something. You know you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be yeah. years before new games that only came about because of this deal start releasing. So let's, let's you know, we'll, we'll keep, obviously, listening to this one. There's a lot of other stuff we, we kind of mentioned before, lawsuits that are, you know, it doesn't mean all that stuff goes away. There are people no. who are hurt by this stuff. There are people who, who deserve to be heard from those days and, and, and have, um, you know, uh, you know, their day in court and, and kind of process all that stuff out too, that it shouldn't be overshadowed by this whole thing. And I hope Microsoft respects that and, and kind of, uh, tries to right a lot of the wrongs that were there. So we had a lot of work ahead of them. I had tons my, of work. My general sense is that they will, I mean, they're at least, a, Microsoft is at least aware of that. If not, if not because it's the right thing to do, then at least because they know how bad it would look if they weren't. Yeah, so I, we, we touched on a lot of those things. There's a lot of game stuff that is going to happen here, and I think, you know, as we, again, have been around this, and I hope you're listening too, respect also a lot of the people that are, a lot of people that are affected by this because it's a massive amount of employees. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're all taken care of in this transition as well in the right kinds of ways. Um, we have only been part of much smaller movements and even that stuff can be rocky and tricky and you know even down to like what health care plan do you get now so as all of this happens in a massive world realigning way hopefully that um, is done well and efficiently I, I guess the silver lining on that corporate nightmare is if anybody has some stuff in place hopefully it's Microsoft because they have also made giganto acquisitions before, so maybe they have decent onboarding tools at this point for moving planets into themselves as they unicron their way across uh, the known galaxy. Um, uh, I, I hope it is a positive change for to all or one. <laughs> That's a very yeah, different yeah, meaning now. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking that like the on-the-ground labor organizing stuff, I hope does not get disrupted by this. Like, I yeah. hope that, I mean, you know, quite frankly, a lot of that is just going to be on the people doing the organizing to keep up the pressure and keep the momentum going. Um, but, I mean, even at a kind of mid-tier level, like what Activision was doing to all of its studios, like a, like workplace malfeasance and toxicity aside, also just the strategic mm. direction for most of their studios was inevitably to just become a faceless Call of Duty support studio, right? Like across the board. You know, it happened to, it happened to Raven. It happened to, like, you name... Right. Vicarious Visions basically lost its entire identity right. after making some very good games, you know? Like, the hope is a lot of those people will be able to, like, stretch their legs creatively as well on, on work that they feel passionate about and not just have to serve the eternal Call of Duty content machine forever. 
Yeah, in the end, I think all any of us really want is for the talented people there to be able to apply those talents on the games they want to make and be able to do it in an environment that is conducive to their well-being. Right, and there's a lot of exciting properties on that list that we read off that I would love to see something new happen with, and I bet there's a lot of people in that structure that have ideas for things to do with them, you know? Yeah, so, like, yeah, so I kind of want to end this with just saying that ton of ton of actual people affected by this, not just at the top with Bobby Kodak and, and Phil um, Spencer. Um, hopefully, I don't know. I don't know. What, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, is it positive? Or if you're if you're at a keyboard making games at Activision, I don't know. How does, what, does this, what does this look like? How does this feel? Is this what's happening in there? Probably too early. I'm sure most people are just still in shock over the whole thing. Yeah, I think most people at Microsoft are still in shock. Like, some of the people I know who are, you know, who still work there, like, their public message is like, big day! Yeah. Definitely saw similar sentiments from people I know. Yeah, yeah are, are offices staying open? Are, are, are they relocating? Are they... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty... There's so much stuff. It's like, you know, who gets to keep the dishes? Are you going to combine the dishes? I already have a blender. Do we need two blenders in the house? I don't know. Um, all right. We're going to take another break here. Again, we'll be back on this story, not after the break, but I'm sure as uh, more comes out and this thing kind of goes on and we get more to talk about there. Big one. But we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some video games, including Nobody Saves the World, Ollie Ollie World. And also some updated thoughts on Resident Evil Village World. Uh, so <laughs> stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. And now it's time to talk about video games. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. You know, in in um, when it's slower releases, it's time to just buy giant companies. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's. You know, you get some, you get the other. It's Big shout out to Microsoft. Yeah, there you go. I literally woke up yesterday thinking, like, yeah, we just covered a month's worth of news from the holidays and when we were doing Game of the Year stuff. Like, there's probably not going to be anything to talk about news-wise this week. Yep. Because we just covered it all. And then, oh. They got you covered. They uh, all just covered you. Let's talk about a game called Nobody Saves the World. Okay. Nobody. So if you're just going to tell me that nobody is coming to save the world. I, I, I believe it. I have bad news for you. What if I told you a weird nude man might save the world? Hey, I'll take what I can get at this point. Okay. Here it comes. You so this is my... a game from... <laughs> oh, God, no. Why would you introduce that image into the world? Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Alex. Dude, I saw a promoted tweet yesterday that was like, it was like, Elon Musk, when Elon Musk has free time, he loves to read. Here are nine selections that he thinks you should read. I'm like, oh, what the last time Elon Musk read an entire book? Give me a break. He's, you know, his book's read to him. Alex, what were you going to say? I don't know, man. I was going to say something. Uh, this is a game from Drinkbox Studios, the people behind Guacamelee. It is an RPG dungeon crawler. Like, I don't really know a better way to describe it, but it is a game where, again, you play as a weird nude guy who wakes up with amnesia and then steals a wizard's stick, whatever, the wand. That's what and, they call them, yeah. And then, over time, gains the ability to transmogrify himself into a variety of different forms, including a dumb guard 
a ranger and a slug, among other things. Yeah, the rat. Appropriately, the rat. The rat is the first form. That's true. The rat is the very first one. Um, it is a game where you you take these different forms, and those forms all have different abilities that are attached to them. You level them up by you know using them in combat, and uh, and you eventually earn the ability to mix and match those abilities to different builds. So essentially, yeah. those different forms become builds that you want to use for tackling various uh, dungeon encounters. I yeah, that, yeah. Two things about this. Number one, it feels very explicitly old Zelda-like to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a top-down. It's a top-down action RPG. Yeah. And like, something about it, I don't know, something about, like, the size and shape of the world map. It's this big rectangle, and they even start you kind of right around where Link to the Past starts you, or even the original Zelda, kind of right down the middle of the bottom. Like, there's just a lot of trappings around it that make me feel a little Link to the Pasty. I had that same thought, yeah. There are worse things to attach yourself to. The other thing is I really love how shameless this game is, because it's literally, seriously, it is just like, like, hey, you like turning in quests? You like oh making levels go up? You like filling up progress bars? I do. Fucking here you go. And, and they're very good. Uh, they're pretty good about um, getting you going quickly. Like, you, yeah, you, you're, yeah. you're like five five minutes into that game, you've got your first, like, three progress meters on, on challenges filling up rapidly. Yeah, so um, if you haven't seen it, you should look up pictures of it. It's got a, it's got a pretty neat art style um, and... Uh, I think the thing know. we had sort of been banding around when we were talking about it was the uh, the the behemoth stuff, like that level, that, that kind of sort of like clean animation. Yeah, yeah it's got a really nice look to it, like really sharp, uh, sharp art that, that, that yeah. yes, like animates well and it runs very smoothly, but also it's got nice little kind of soft focus around the edges, like some nice lighting. And to be fair, like Guacamelee had that too. Like Guacamelee yeah, was a very yeah, nice looking game. Very, very much of like kind of up their house style. Uh, yeah, we should mention from from the studios that brought yeah. you. Great. Uh, yeah, this is um is, uh, kind of details out of the way here. This just came out. It mm-hmm. is on PC and Xbox. It is also available on Game Pass if you are subscribed to that. Twenty five dollars. Uh, it is. It, it is uh, it is fun. So it's you, a very it's a very satisfying treadmill. I think. Like There's like seven treadmills, but yeah, yeah, it is. yes. That's, yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. Is like you have you have an overall character level that's like how much health and mana you have, and kind of basic, I think, attack and defense stats. And each form that you can morph into also has its own level and health. Um, yeah, and and yes, like and, and abilities and stuff, and like there are perks that go with each form. Yeah, so um, that you unlock on an upgrade tree, like, and it's just constantly feeding you more quests. Like it's just, you know. So, so a quest might kill. be something like, yeah, kill kill five enemies with this attack. Yeah. Uh, it's, and then it's you get like recharge, recharge 2,000 health with this, you know, lifesteal attack. Like, kill 50 enemies with a sword. Like, you know, poison enemies 25 times. Like, it's just constantly hitting you with stuff like that. And it's also just, you know, like, finish this dungeon. Or, mm-hmm. like, go here and do this. Get eight of these. You know, like, it's just constantly spawning. You can, you can even buy... <laughs> Like, it was really telling to me when I got to the first vendor, and you can buy an endless quest from that vendor. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a bunch of those, actually. Or are there more of those? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. I mean, it's like, on some level, it feels like a slightly more interactive progress quest to me. <laughs> like <laughs> You're not really wrong. Just, it really just feels like, I mean, it's like grinding, but fun. Like, it's actually just a fun grind. But that's the thing, is that the grind doesn't require you to go out of your way to do a bunch of stuff. Like, at least in the, the like, I'm probably like three or four hours into it at this point. 
everything that is in those progress bars that has popped into my, my menu, I have been able to do just by doing the next thing or going right. to the next place or checking this thing out. Like, it's not a game where you have to go out of your way and think too hard, at least, again, in those early hours, about how you're going to make that progress. It is all kind of built into the natural grind of playing it. I I, I did have to focus on, a, like, to get some of the rat quests done. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing you have to do is you have to use the, the different forms in order to level them up. Some, some of the quests are like, you know, this you have to use this ability to finish this quest, but that ability only triggers when you're below 30% health, so you kind of have to, like, manufacture yeah. some situations where you, you are in that circumstance. There are plenty of situations, though, where you will just get there. Like, I, yeah. I found plenty of combat encounters where I, you know, I got to under 30% health without having to do very much thinking about it. That being said, it's so far, it's been pretty breezy and pretty generous. Like with it has um, hard parts, I would say, but by and large, it has been pretty well balanced. So, so um, it seems like as you go through the different forms, the the template I've seen as I've unlocked a form is you get a basic attack with which, when you use it, recharges your mana. It seems that is your generally your basic attack, and the second one you unlock is usually more of an AOE attack for uh, massive damage in a surrounding area that uses mana without necessarily recharging it. So right. you'll you'll use that second ability, and then you'll use your primary ability to build back up the mana. But they're they're really feeding you health quite consistently, uh, whether it's from like trash cans you break, or if you use the rat. You just get health back when you use its second ability, you get like thirty percent health back, which is um, just switch to the rat. The, the, I always switch to the rat. This, the rat moves so fast. Why that's, would you not use why, the rat? That's exactly why is that I have not found a form yet that moves faster oh, than the rat. The and horse. it does that poison damage, which is good. The horse yes. is the OP. horse is very fast. The horse is I so really good. So the horse is not only so good. It's primary attack, you have to face backwards, so you just wind up running okay. through the levels backwards so you can kick things because you can hold down the button to make sure your attack yeah. faces a certain way. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I, I immediately, when I started playing this game, um, said, man, I wish there was a way to lock your direction as you move around, and then I, like, I tried right trigger, and that totally did it, and then like two minutes later they tell you, hey, hold right trigger. But like that's the one thing this game needed, and sure enough, it's in there. Yeah. I wish... I'm sure they put this in, and they decided that it doesn't need it. I wish it slowed down or paused when you switched forms. Um, it is not quite fast enough for me on that wheel where I want to switch forms and I'm in the middle of combat. I, I'm always getting hit once or twice, and it's not the end of the world, but I do wish it either slowed things down for uh, half a second while you're switching. Uh, there's no quick switch button. You have a radial wheel that you kind of just pull up and use. So you can't just hit a button to switch back and forth. That's the other thing. If they just had a um, a button where you can quick switch between the last form you had, uh, maybe that's something that comes later on. But, like, when I'm using the Ranger, which has a, a, a bow and arrow, like a range attack, I usually want to switch to something like the Rat to kind of get my health back quickly and then switch right back to get more mana or, or whatever it is. But... It is pretty fun. I found it pretty breezy. Like it goes. Yeah. Like it just you just keep moving. That's, um, that's the thing. I think they they have found like a sublime pace for these milestones to be completed. You know, it's like yeah. Every time, every time you pop off a quest, which is like every two minutes, like they give you three more. You know, and it's like you're you're just constantly hitting redeem on things and getting the resulting rewards, and it just feels really good in like a scary dopamine drip kind of way. Yes. I think if if it has a failing, it's that I absolutely do not give a shit about anything that's going on with the story or the characters for the most part. Like, it's pleasant 
yeah, the few character pretty... interactions that are there are fine, and like you know, it's it's not a thing I've laughed at, but it's just a couple times I said, ah, that's funny, and that's not necessarily what you want from a comedy game, but like. It also doesn't really matter. Like, it's only just kind of there as a hum in the background. Like, it is not the thing driving it forward. Yeah. I just kind of wish I was a little more invested in what I, why I was actually doing this grind, other than Alex like numbers go up. Mm-hmm. I, I like I, I like the the, the backdrop. I, I don't mind it. The the night at the archery range is funny. I found the the um uh the the one the ranged one the one that mm-hmm. wants you to uh, beat that range uh, archery challenge. To be, it's got like a snarky tone to it. The the whole thing. It's, it's, it does. It's kind of, I just don't think yeah. it's that funny. Yeah, it's not, it, it didn't have me rolling out of my seat, but I'm okay for that backdrop. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah. there to make the numbers go up. Also. Yeah, it's because the gameplay is so pleasantly mindless and fun to like. I don't want to call it a time waster because I mean there is some like light strategy, I guess I would call it, in completing some of those challenges. You know. Well, they but, get into a point where um, each attack has a dominion or a. a uh, uh, damage type. Damage type, and they get into parts where you have to use that damage type to break a shield on an enemy. Right. And then you have to switch, and you can switch back to another form after you break the shield is fine. They also do a very smart thing where in a major boss dungeon, I've only been through one, I think. Alex maybe has gone through more than them. I've gone through a actually, couple. They lock out progress on your on your form so that it's like don't worry about what form you're using for progress. Just use whatever form gets you through the dungeon to solve the puzzle the best. So it actually locks out any XP you're gaining towards progress for that individual class, which is on one point a relief. So you're not forced into using the rat to just use that uh, you know ability over and over again. You're like I can use whatever I want. I don't get an XP. On the other hand, you feel like you're wasting time because you're not gaining that yeah. XP. That doesn't necessarily feel like the right, like positive way to solve that problem to me. It's 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 interesting. I, I, again, I've only seen it on that one dungeon, but you, you've seen it other times, Alex, on the on the gem dungeons. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. I can see why they would do it because I was definitely just min maxing classes to to burn through quests, and I would do that in a dungeon as well. So, uh, it's. I like it. I want to keep going with it. That's yeah, that's the thing. I, I sat down with it expecting that I was going to put, like, an hour, maybe an hour and a half into it, and then I, like, three and a half hours later, I was like, oh, okay, uh, I'm actually enjoying this. Yeah, again, I, I keep wanting to call it something like a time waster or mindless, which is kind of unfair to the game, but it's it's, it's a little commitment. bit mindless. Like, <laughs> I, and I don't mean this in, that, in a way that's, like, they have not put any thought into, like, how this game works. Like, if anything, yeah, I think yeah. it is a very efficient machine. But, like, you don't have to think too hard about what you're doing. That, that's what I mean is, like, you're not you're not making a heavy commitment. You are not going to be under a lot of pressure when you sit down and play this game. Like, it's fun. It's fun yeah. and satisfying, and it kind of does what it needs to do. And you can play it for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And you're, you can hold a in a lot of spots in your game. Oh, yeah, will. Fire off. And, and it feels good. Like, yeah. it feels good to just wail on 20 enemies with these goofy attacks. It's yeah. Like, it's it's entertaining and and a nice soundtrack too. I found it uh, appropriate yeah. and, and oh, kind of overworld music. And the map keeps expanding. I keep on does adding parts to the map. Does it ever does it ever stop nagging you for using a form that doesn't have any active quests? Because like You're, like like we were saying, I switch to the rat every time I need to travel, but I don't yeah. have any quests for the rat, and it keeps butting in with a tooltip that I have to. It pauses the action. It's like, hey, you should switch to a form with quests. This one doesn't have any. I'm like, I know. I don't know, I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to get somewhere quickly. So you you start getting just weirder quests for 
comboing stuff um, to the point where I was like, oh, man, I actually have a lot of quests now where it's like, okay, now use the rat with a, a damage type like this and, and slot that in. So you actually wind oh. up getting these other quests that aren't specific to the rat. They're specific to the combination of things you can build with the rat. So I, I don't – like, once I got those, I just had so many quests. Like, I had quests where it's like, wow, I have to scroll the list to see how many quests I have um, for a thing, uh, which is, What's again, the, kind of what you want, right? What's the top rank on a form? Like, their letter grades, does it top out at A? <laughs> I've only made it to B rank so far. Okay, I was going to say, because, like, it, the, leveling, the leveling per form slows down pretty fast once you start ranking up. Feels yes. Like, it feels like it would take kind of a lot of work to actually max out a form. I tried. I thought I was – I thought – I thought I was going to get there on one, but no, it didn't quite. I just mm. got the slug instead. Um, but that horse, I'm a fan of the horse. My the horse, horse. You also get upgrade points um, for your. You level your character up, and then you get a currency to spend on specific abilities. There's a there's a lot of numbers that are you're gaining. Nobody saves the world. Available on PC and Xbox, and it is $25, also available on Game Pass. If you are a subscriber to that, I give it a thumbs up. That's my You're here first. Very good Game Pass game. Yes, thumbs up. Very good games who just show up on your Xbox, and you play through it, and then you probably don't think about it again, but you had a good time while you played it. I did not see any transactions in that game. Not that there might not be. I did not see any. Boot it up, and you play. I enjoyed it. Uh, Alex, you <laughs> have tried some Ali Ali World. Yes, this game is not out yet. It is out in February, but there was a preview version that went around uh, for folks to check out. <clears throat> and I've played through a pretty good chunk of it, actually. I spent, uh, my, I've definitely played through, I think, the first two biomes, and I think I just started touching the third one. Um, so, Ali Ali. This is a game that I think. If you remember it, you remember it primarily as a sort of flow state side scrolling skateboarding game. Okay. I was I've never played it, but I always have the impression that it's kind of like a skateboarding toy. Uh there's there more to it than that. It was it's been so long since I played the original, but I remember it being very lean and efficient. And it is a game that is very much just about snapping off combos of tricks as you move along a side scrolling environment. And my understanding oh, okay. is that is pretty much what makes Ollie 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 Ollie. Yes, okay, actually. <laughs> Boy, say that again. Ollie, 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 Ollie. Looking at these screenshots, yeah, I see all the Nolly 360 flip tricks, front side 360 shove it, ringing up a laser flip, like it's a fakey big spin flip 180. Yep. And all the trick, trick base. It, all that stuff is pretty much done, if you're playing like I was with a controller, all that stuff is just done with a stick. Like you're moving the left stick in different directions as you're moving along, and uh, you know you're kind of hitting A as you land to try and get like a perfect landing. But it is a lot of stick rotation to do those tricks. Um, so Ollie Ollie World, Ollie Ollie World is Pendleton Ward's Pro Skater. It is they have Adventure timed the shit out of the 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 environment the world around Ali Ali and it's possible maybe they were going that direction with some with because again I've only really played the original Ali Ali I think I might have played the second one for a little bit but I don't really remember anything about it okay um so it's been a while since I really engaged with this stuff and maybe they were already kind of heading in this direction but my immediate striking thing was someone watched a lot of Adventure Time and thought this would make a really cool skateboarding world and they were right. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at shots of Ollie Ollie 2, and it is very much that same kind of bland or fairly generic looking 2D art. Okay. Like, it so does not it does not 
I don't see any giant bananas like I see in this first screenshot of Ollie Ollie World that I landed on. So they give you like a, a cadre of kind of weird skateboarding characters to interact with right out of the gate. They are just kind of a crew that hang around with you, and they're looking for the next big skate wizard. Guess who that might be? Hmm. Um, there is a whole character creation element to this game where there are just a ton of different parts and, you know, customizable elements that you can do to make your character look any number of different ways or have different boards. Um, and you just kind of go from place to place. Like, the, each world is kind of like a like a Super Mario World world where there's, like, a bunch of different dots of different levels around. And each of those levels comes with a set of challenges, score things that you're trying to hit, some of which will unlock new bonus stages. Some are just meant for progression. Um, and it's a very breezy experience that still has some challenge to it. Like, Ollie Ollie, what I remember playing was that the game could get hard. You know, that flow state sense of, like, you are constantly trying to, you know, grind on this, then hit this wall ride, then grind on another thing, then land with a different trick, and then get into, you know, kind of a... Like, it was like the Tony Hawk-style combo system where you were constantly trying to keep the flow of combo going at all times. And that is still very much the case here. But they've just rebuilt the trappings around it and kind of the progression of it in a way that gives it its own, I, I think, its own distinct flavor, though that flavor, again, to me at least, feels very much inspired by something like an Adventure Time. So is it kind of like a runner? Like, are you, it's like a, like a, like there a are end runner X for each stage. Like, are you, like, are you just kind of running through the level? Uh, when you're in a set level, are you running through the level, like, trying to memorize what's coming up next? Um, to a degree, there are alternate paths in a lot of these tracks, and some of them are just like, here's the basic area, here's the gnarly section of the level. And, you kind uh-huh. of go through. and so some of the challenges you can just tick off in one run, and they're permanently unlocked. You don't have to go back and do them again. But there are, you know, if you don't get hit that challenge, if you fail a run but you still hit a challenge, that still ticks off. So you don't have to do that again. That's good. Are there collectibles in the level as well? I haven't seen much in the way of collectibles, but there are collectibles that come when you when you beat those challenges. Would you say they meet their ambition on this one? I think so. Okay, I mean, again, so I don't far. know what the right, full yeah. scope of, right. of their ambition was, but it feels like their goal was to give some more personality to this thing that people already really liked. And I think they have succeeded in that. Like, the characters are goofy and charming, and they're also not constantly around or constantly jawing at you. They kind of just give you some, like, pre-level dialogue, which you can then skip if you want to go back and do another run in a level. Hmm. Um, there's a, a bit of a plot involving the skate gods, but, you know, whether you're invested in that or not, I, I leave that up to you. I will just say that, like, I didn't really know what this was going to be other than they were, it seemed like they were enlarging what Ollie Ollie World was, and I'm pretty charmed by it overall. That's cool. And yeah. Like, the skating is still fully 2D, right? Like yes, it is still side shots. It's like 2.5D, okay. you know? Like, right. it is, there is a 3D element to it, but it is a side-scrolling skateboarding game. Okay. I don't know why I had it in my mind that there was some multiplayer aspect to this, but I don't maybe it was the world. There's an asynchronous multiplayer aspect okay. to it, which I didn't really dig that far into, but my understanding is that, like, yeah, it is a lot of, like, daily challenges and leaderboards and that kind of stuff. And you can also build, I think, challenges for other people to to complete if you want. Hmm. Ollie Ollie right. World. Yeah. It's cool, and it's out next month, and I'm looking forward to, like, finishing the whole thing because I'm having a lot more fun with it than I've had with, like, some other recent indie skateboarding stuff. Like, this, to me, 
you know, it's it's goofy and it's over the top, but like the actual skating feels good, and the like the flow state stuff is like it has like a really nice flow to it. So I I'm I'm into it. That's cool. I might have to give this a try. There is a notice on the Steam Store page that I have never seen before. Mm-hmm. Ollie Ollie World requires a controller in order to play. Playing with a keyboard and mouse isn't supported. Isn't supported. I don't know that I've ever seen a PC game yeah. before without mouse and keyboard support. That is bold. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I don't think you could play this game with a keyboard. I just don't think you could do it. You watch mm. me. No, I, I, you're right. You, in fact, cannot. <laughs> no, I'm saying even if they tried to make it work, I don't I think it would yes. work. I will play this game with a rock band controller with my toes. You will have a bad time, my friend. Um. February 8th? Is that the February 8th, I believe, yes. All right. Let's take it to Resident Evil Village. Or Village. Resident Evil 8, as um, it's called in the Caravilla household. I, just, I keep thinking, yeah, it's just RE8 in my head. Every time it's, I say it in my head, it's just RE8. It flows. Resident Evil 8 flows. Resident, Resident Evil, Evil game. RE8. Um. So uh probably have some spoilers in this section. Uh if we if we we're not gonna go too deep into it, but Brad, you and I have continued Alex, have you continued much with Resident Evil or not? I died really? dug a little bit deeper, but I was kinda of focused on those other games this past week. Uh I really like this Resident Evil game. I do too. I'm super deep into it. It is very popular around here. You caught me at a weird time because the very last thing I played in it is, like, by far the worst thing I have seen in that game so far. What was the last thing you did? The water parts? Okay, Moreau, Moreau's... Yeah, uh, in, the, in the Moreau area where yeah. you're having to, like, break boards to knock bridges down and, like, cross these bridges very slowly and press as, switches. As the water monster gets you? That, that whole part just felt kind of sloppy in a way the rest of the game has not. But that, it's an outlier, though. I, otherwise, I think the game's fantastic. So uh, here's a weird thing that I, maybe you're noticing now because I started feeling it about at that section too. I'm a, I'm a past that, but the setup for that game where you start at the castle seems like the big. It when I was playing through that part, I was like, "Wow, is each one of these bosses going to be this involved?" And it is not. They yeah. uh, they break up the doll part. I like the breakup. They take your weapons away, and you and you kind of do this weird. Weird hallucinogenic puzzle. Uh, yeah, I thought that doll part, the the area with the doll maker, was fascinating. Like, yeah, it was really different, really different, really like more adventure gamey, like and a short, lot more short, tight solving, solving like puzzle solving based, and fucking weird. That that gigantic baby. Baby. Yummy. It's like, what are we doing with There's this a, thing? There is a gigantic, monstrous infant that crawls around chasing you in the basement of that place. And, like, it sounds like you thought it was goofy as hell. I thought it was, like, really unnerving. I thought it was both disgusting and horrifying until it starts babbling. And then when it when it puts you into its mouth feet first. Oh, dude, that just made it worse for me. And, and yells yummy. When it started uh, going da-da in a monster <laughs> voice, like, it just got worse. But it's not a monster voice. It's a baby voice. It's kind of a monster voice. It's like All babies are monsters. Um. It is, uh, it is, it is wild. It is, it is maybe the goofiest part so far. Also, Ethan is maybe could compete in a very big list, but make the top five of dumbest characters. Like he is, like he's a, a great A dope. He's a I mean, dope. He's a doofus. But it, 
feels like it plays into his whole, like, the indestructible nature of him, which I don't know where that stuff's going yet. Oh, but, sh- sure. He's, like, he's a, yeah. Like, he's, he's kind of a hapless dope, but he kind of grows, like, he just regenerates everything. Like, it doesn't matter what you do to him, because he's just going to grow it back. He, or just sprinkle his liquid or, on it. Yeah, he's going to, like, glue his forearm back on, and everything will be fine. Uh, he is, um, he is, well, okay, I want to say he's a dumbass. He's a dope. Like, there was a part where I just laughed, and I don't think it was supposed to be funny. Maybe it was supposed to be funny. After you beat uh, Lady um, Demescu? Demis- Dem- Demitrescu is how Demis- they say it. In the, okay. uh, but I, I've been informed. Okay. I was actually just informed yesterday on our Discord by someone with knowledge of Romanian that that is, by, that is absolutely not the correct pronunciation. Okay, yeah, Lady- that's pronunciation, but it's not the correct one. To, to drop that U sound. I'll say Lady D. You, you beat Lady you D, mm-hmm. and then she's like, as she's writhing, and you're you're riding uh, this monster to down this like tower, and she's like, I curse your whole family, and then you smash to the ground. He gets up, and he's like, you're a curse. That's Ethan. Uh, that's my idiot son. He does say, he says, like, you're, you're cursed. And then, like, he's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> he's just he is, an absolute moron. He's kind of a giant cheese ball, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Like, like he, one-liners are terrible. Like, I don't, you know. Like, one moment he's in pursuit of his kidnapped infant child, and then, like, the next moment he's, he's like, telling some giant monster, like, just finish me off, just get it over with. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you want to find your baby or not, or you just want to die? What are you doing? I do. I don't know. think he knows what he wants. He's, and, like, his interactions, Duke is great, the, the, uh, the, the shopkeeper. The Duke is good. I don't know if you, you cook stuff with the Duke, because it, um... I, haven't, I mean, I've got the option. I haven't found... I don't think I've found enough ingredients to cook anything yet. Ooh, you, you got to get searching more. Dude, I am fucking, I am, I am dining, dining, I am dining, dining I'm dying, meat. I am dying to find some finest fish. Yes. And some juicy game. Juicy game is, uh, need, is an I interesting juicy game. You can probably juicy get game. the juicy game now. Finest fish, I think you have to wait a little bit. Damn it. I, I want that movement did, upgrade. Did you find the, uh, did you find the picture of the juicy game? Um. I have found some photos of animals. I don't know if okay. I mean, it didn't say it was Juicy Game necessarily. Okay. There's, there are the photos might help you out. And, uh, I, but mm. the cooking sound, I bring it up because it, uh, I know these are both Capcom joints. It really reminds me of the cooking in Monster Hunter. Oh, that, boy. That, okay. Clink, clink, clink. I know maybe a little Zelda-like. Um, right. Not a Capcom game, but, well, not this Zelda game. It hasn't been a Capcom. Oh, anyway, whole other thing. Um, yeah, uh, cooking sound's pretty good. And the upgrades, I haven't really noticed too much. This is not, I have not found this one to be extremely hard except for immediate death stuff. Like, um, oh, I walked in a wrong spot. Like the fish part, right? Like, oh, I walked over the bridge, now I'm just dead. Like, um, but the battles I have not found to be super challenging. It's not overly hard. I mean, a lot of enemies take a lot of bullets to kill. Yes. But they also kind of give you a lot of bullets. Yeah, yeah. there's no shortage. I hit a part now where I'm like really strapped for bullets. I'm in. I'm in. Um, for those who have finished it, the kind of uh, Heisenberg part where they're just constantly throwing guys at me now. And so far, I think we talked about this last time. It 
feels like a game where you're supposed to engage with the enemy and, you know, take them out and then get some money and get a crystal skull and buy some more bullets or do whatever. This part now feels like I don't know if I have the ammo to take everybody out. I think I'm just running past parts. I have run past parts. Um, where it's it's I, a knife. I'm out of bullets. Ah, uh, I don't it's know. No, no, the, the knife is not doing it. So, and I also hit parts now where the economy, where the Duke has offered me some fine items that are just, you know, I think it's like $160,000. And it's just like, Duke! That's like all I have right now. Dude, what are we doing, Duke? I've sold I, you I, everything. Kind of, I mean, that's probably doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme. I wish it telegraphed a little bit more like what you should be spending money on when. What have you been buying? In both cases, in in the cases of both the pistol and the shotgun, Mm. I assumed there was only one of each in the game. Mm. And like in both cases, right around the time that I dumped a bunch of money into upgrading the one, I immediately got the next one. Like the better one. Well, you know, better is subjective. Those numbers are pretty explicit. Well, if you upgrade... Your early upgraded handgun might be better than your uh, later handgun. I, I always, I also switch right over to because yeah, like, it, it pops out. I, 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 I ran the math. Okay, yeah, I ran the numbers. I, yeah, it, the, the, the first model is like top out. They have a pretty low upgrade ceiling, so that you can okay. only take them so far. But and I think you only get like half the money back that you spent on them when you sell them. But whatever, it's probably fine. I, I, like for a while there, I was rolling. I was flush with cash, and now I am no longer. But the other thing with the upgrade on the weapons is. They don't get, let you upgrade up to your dollar amount. They kind of gate the upgrades where you're like, yeah. oh, you can't upgrade until you beat this other area, which I get. You know, they don't want you to make it too easy. But um, that's also a thing of like, well, should I spend my money now or should I just save it because I know after I beat this, I'm probably going to dump $70,000 into upgrading this shotgun more. You, buy, you find upgrade parts, and those are always fun. And uh, They do a nice, the nice Resident Evil thing, which please never stop Capcom, which is highlighting rooms that are cleared out and 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 marking them on the map. I, I love it. I, I I'm with you, but it also introduces some maladaptive behaviors. Let's say, Just clean out a room when yes, for example, you can't bring yourself to move on from an area until you have turned every single room blue. It's a Christmas. It's a crystal fragment on the ceiling. It's always a crystal mm. fragment, and it's always stuffed on a ceiling. Just find it there. Uh, my problem with that is uh, I broke that, uh, and that's a pretty hard one for me to break. I had to break it at some point because I was spending, like, a half hour in a room just like Yes, like I, I didn't move out of the castle. I found out that you can't come back to the castle, so I made sure to clear everything out in that castle. Yeah. That, Which, I, yeah. when she is, when the, the large vampire lady is dogging you constantly is kind of a chore. Yeah, she, does, she doesn't like you in the castle. Except um, in Duke's room. You're okay in there. Yes. We'll not go in the Duke's room. She doesn't fight with the Duke. I, I, it was the Duke. It was I, the Duke. I really like the castle part. I think that's probably still the strongest part of the game. Yeah, oh, that dollhouse, dollhouse stuff was also fantastic, though. I, I like the structure of the game. I had heard people had said it was, like, more open, which I don't know that I agree with necessarily. It's not that it's open. It's just that there's a hub. Hub, yeah. But there's only one area you can go to at any given time, right? Like, you, you can go to track eventually. No, I know. You come back through the hub, and, like, they, there is a little bit of a Metroid thing there of, like, oh, I got a new key. Now I can open these other houses in the yeah. hub that I couldn't before. Um, what I mean is, like, you can only go to the castle, and then you finish the castle, and then you can only go to the Dollmaker. You finish that, and then you can only go to Moreau. You, they do close off kind of the more 
like the story well, based specific, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like you can you can kind of backtrack through the run up to those areas, right? But well, they do kind of like yeah, get you off to the. What what I mean is there is a prescribed order to the yeah. bosses you have to fight. Like there's no. I, I thought it was going to be a little more Mega Man kind of like oh just go wherever you want and do all the shit that we told you to. do. But no, it is literally it is, like you're building the key to open yes, the next area. It is, it is like okay, there is one area that this key will open right now, and that's where I'm going. Um, it's fine. Like it's not the end of the world. It's just I. I it wasn't quite what I expected based on what people had said. It does seem like there's a couple of things that are at your discretion, which are side encounters. Like they're, if you're going for those treasure chests, which they very nicely mark on the on the map, which I also appreciate, um, you'll encounter some enemies there, and I think that is up to you whether you want to go in there and take on the big wolf. Or you do, they, know, do they ever lock any of those big treasure chests off later? Because I've come across a couple that it felt like I couldn't get at the time. I came across those as well. I had to circle back around. So okay. I, I have been able to – I have not met one – I have not met a treasure chest I couldn't open yet. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have not left an area uh, without pouring over every single thing to see if I – I actually looked up two of them to be like, am I going to lose these? Probably the same exact two that um, in the hub world that you're thinking of yeah. where it's like you you maybe need a key, let's say, from a, somebody who makes instruments, uh, Luthier's key. Oh, I got that one. You did it get out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like around that area where there were like a couple of chests. I was like, I do I have to come back at some point? I'm, I've been here a half hour and I looked it up and it's like, come back after you finish Moreau and, or whatever, or Bienvenido, bien, bien, yeah. whatever the doll was. And it was like, come back. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like the, the, the amount of side activities is kind of cool for a Resident Evil game. Like, the, yeah. Finding the, finding the cooking ingredients and those, those side treasure chests and just some of the exploration stuff that is kind of there but not essential is, is kind of nice to have. I like it. I I do. Um, you know, it makes me fear I'm gonna miss out on collecting something. But that's they mark those treasure chests, and usually the treasure chests are the things I don't want to miss: the upgrade parts, the the big ticket Duke items. Um, I need to find one more sphere somewhere for the labyrinth puzzle, uh, which I haven't been able to find. I don't know if I've. Oh, yeah, those are another good. Those are another, another good example of just like side cool stuff. Yeah, it gives you some cash. Uh, I don't know if I'm like in the in, on the roller coaster downhill part to the end or not. If I'm going to leave this area, it feels like I'm wrapping things up. So uh, we'll see maybe next week. But big thumbs up. I, I really, it's a very yeah. actiony Resident Evil game. Yes, uh, it's weird. weird. I, I see how I feel when I finish it. I feel like it might not be as good a game as Seven, but I think I like it more. I think I'm having a I mean, it doesn't feel as, yeah, it doesn't feel as tightly designed to me as Seven does, but I think I enjoy what it's doing more. I, I think I was more into the vibes of Seven. I think this one is ridiculous in a way that I do kind of appreciate, but I think Seven it. had such a good, creepy, fucked-up thing going on, which is actually also the, the impediment to be playing it, hmm. whereas this is... I can't say I've ever really been scared by any aspect of this game, and I, I know there's some horrific stuff in it and what, but but it feels much like you said, it's much more of an action experience, which is less of an impediment to me playing it. I think I like this better than seven. I think okay. I think seven to me, seven seven to me also uh, the vibes are very interesting, but the more seven went on, the less I enjoyed seven. I think the more it's kind of turned into traditional Resident Evil stuff, uh, the longer it went. This yeah. seems to, from the jump, just be like, hey, you're going to be shooting a lot. You're going to be – it's more action game, and it's so ridiculous. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. – it's much more it really, ridiculous. It truly is ridiculous. 
if it seems real fucking ridiculous. I, and I like that. It is so it is so silly. The characters are that the characters are kind of re- a return to form, let's say, of over the top Resident Evil characters in the vein yeah. of like, oh, you're all very silly. Like you're, I don't know what's going on. I am. Um, I'm curious to see. You know, you didn't get a lot of doll maker backstory, and I kind of wondered if I missed some setup for what happened there. Because you get more with you got a lot with uh, Lady D. You got a and you got a decent amount with Moreau of like, oh, what is their story here? Why did this come to pass? I feel like I didn't get a ton with the doll maker of like, what is your whole deal? Like, why? Yeah, I mean, I think I think she's supposed to be pretty enigmatic. Okay, I mean, like she straight up hides her presence behind the doll for the most part. Yeah, like um. Yeah, I kind of got in and out of there, and I was like, okay, I guess I got this part. Let's go. And even that thing is ridiculous, the, the, what you're collecting from each boss to uh, unlock the, the final door. Oh, gateway yes. is is ridiculous in in and of itself. The key you're making uh, is... Should we just say what it is? Sure. You, you, baby it's your part, baby. It's parts of a baby. You are straight up, you are straight up Simon's questing this shit and collecting the body parts of your child. Um, assemble back together. Yeah, it is. Um, it is ridiculous, and and like you know, the Duke is just like, yeah, man, that's messed up. <laughs> anyway, you want to mm-hmm. buy something? Just go on to the next area. I, either way, I'll, I think I'll probably have it wrapped up by next week, and we'll have some final thoughts on it. It's um, would it have made my top ten. It would be in Uh-oh. competition, I think. Oh. Hey, I think really? it would have been in competition. Sure, you sure you want to play this game? We just put those lists up. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Listen, I'm not ashamed to say it. A good game is a good game, and I, yeah. I, I'm enjoying it so far. You should always be willing to reevaluate. Yeah, um, we'll, just, yeah we'll see where it finishes up. But yes, I could definitely see it also in my top ten. Yeah, and I will uh, say if they do the seven thing, that I will also bond about in seven of just straight umbrella lab at the end, and like, oh, it was all the virus or fungus or some other pathogen. Like, I'm gonna be a little bummed. Have you? Because they clearly could not resist that temptation at seven, and I wish they had. I'll talk about this next week with you because I think there's some stuff maybe you haven't seen yet. So mm. next week, uh, we'll spoil some more Resident Evil. Uh, what what a weird what a weird over the top game. Uh, Dude, that book, that that log, that kind of scientific log about how she made her daughters. Oh, the these? Yeah. Dude, that was that was that was legit unsettling to read. I'm trying to think of the specifics of it. Um, oh, where she's she's like she had the fail test subjects. That one? No, no, no. Like I hope I didn't miss it. Is it with? Yes, you're making a what, face. I don't know. It's just it's really creepy. Okay, okay. It's just it's just a little side that you could look it up. Okay, I'll have to look it up. Is it's that, just a, a journal entry? It's this very, it's this very kind of Victorian-sounding scientific experimental log thing of like day one, day one, one day after exposure or one day after treatment. Oh yes, okay, like, yes, like yeah. The girls, yeah. the girls have stopped moving entirely, almost yes. as if they are dead. Yes, and then the flies and the whole thing. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, it's all. Yeah, it was gross. Very evocative. Um, all right, that's Resident Evil Village. Uh, I'll mark this so we're everybody knows we're done with that. Um, R E talk is over. If anybody's still playing it, R E eight. More next week on that, I'm sure. That I believe that's going to do it for this week's show. Yeah. Um, you don't get big old news like that every week. So you don't get that kind of news 
at Never. least every 20 years, because that's about how long I've been in this business. They don't make news, video game news like that anymore. No, they really don't. Um, Although I guess maybe now they'll be making a lot more of it. Geez, I don't know if the world can afford it. The, uh, so, the, yeah, that was Microsoft picking up Activision there at the old uh, at the old video games flea market. Just a big old bag of Activision. I'll take it. Uh, and then we talked about <laughs> one, one third-party publisher slightly used, <laughs> slightly damaged. Um, we'll, we'll take that. New we, carburetor. We'll talk about uh, nobody. We talked about we talked about nobody saves the world. Ollie Ollie World, which is coming out February eighth, and Resident Evil Village. If you want to go back, if you skipped it and want to go back and listen to that, um, that's gonna do it for this week's show. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, we have a Patreon. If you want to go over to nextlander.com or patreon.com slash nextlander, you can find a tier that's right for you. Uh, you can go, if you want to go listen to our other podcast, the Ramble Cast, uh, that is in one of the tiers over there. Where, what did we talk about this week? We had a, we had a journey. I remember We're talking, talking about, about canned fish. <laughs> we we had uh what's what should go on a cracker? What should go on a hamburger? Boy, do about spiders in the home. That's right. When you're spider, when you have to learn to stop fearing the spider. What? There's a how, there's a how, 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 eat the spider. How, sometimes the spider eats you. Do it. Do it. How how and when to haggle? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yes. For uh, good services. I was gonna do I was gonna do a, a spider and uh, how I learned to love the spider uh, uh, the bomb, but it just couldn't couldn't get there. Quite get couldn't there. get there. Couldn't quite. Just didn't have the time. And now sometimes sometimes the synapses just don't quite connect. Just weren't all firing. I was too focused on wanting to thank our mysterious benefactors. That's right, patrons. That's right. You get to this part of the show and the gratitude just overwhelms you. Just overwhelms. It's so, like a wave. So, feel so thankful for all the people that support us. <laughs> I really Hell do. Yeah. Um, not only thankful for the people who watch our shows, not only thankful for the people that listen, uh, and I am very thankful for uh, uh, everybody who has joined our Patreon. And there is a tier there called the Mysterious Benefactor tier, and they get a shout-out on this here show, and I'm going to read those names out right now. So thanks, everybody. Here you go. The Mysterious Benefactors for this week are... Evan Poon, No One, Vinny's Giant Booga Boogas, Nelson LeBlanc, James Smith, Skywarp, John Hubbard, Sean Miller, Jack Eineker, Nick Donegan, Evan Cook, Mark Wilhelm, J.M., Jerry Lee, Gary Pejsky, Conrad Kuzman, Robert Fisher, Joseph Reagan, John McInnes, Hashtag Bunny Crimes. Peter Reardon, Thomas Lynn, Jad Rita, Statics, Andrew Jackson, Bacon Monk, Chris Barkhurst, Anders Buga, 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 Devin Maestro Hall, Brian Murphy, Kevin Velado, Randy Duax, Mark Allenbach, Aaron Gonzalez Beer, Andrew Tiebkin, It Me JP, Edward Cheek, Andrew Slosky, Steve Lynn, Richard Welsh, Matthew Herrig, and Tyler Treese. Our Mysterious Benefactors for this week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to Mysterious Benefactors and to the general audience for supporting us. Yeah, thank you. Want to mention